What is up, MCU cast listeners? This is Matthew Carroll. I am uh, dropping this in the feed because we had a couple days off from MCU casts, and I just wanted to drop this because I wanted everyone to get a chance to hear it that wants to. Uh, this is the Star Trek Universe podcast that me and David C. Robertson from the DC On Screen podcast started. If you like Star Trek and you like this podcast, I think you will like the other one. Um, so go check out the Star Trek Universe podcast. It's available in all of your podcatchers. And I'm just dropping uh, what so far has probably been our favorite episode so far. Um, and this one, this episode, we rank the six series of Star Trek from best to worst and uh, give our reasonings. And so if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll dig it. If you're not, please ignore this episode. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to drop it in this feed so that you guys could hear it uh, now that we had a little gap between things. Um, and we'll be back in a couple of days with the last uh, wrap up for Runaways. So if you have any feedback on that, send it in um, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Welcome to the Star Trek Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll. I'm David C. Robertson. David C. Robertson. Robertson? I just said your name wrong. You always do. I do not. I say Robertson. (laughs) I do not. That is just a bald-faced lie. (laughs) a bald-faced lie. I noticed it because I don't normally do it, and I just, like, fumbled over the R. Uh, Every time. Every time. David C. Robertson. Every time since you were since we were six years old, I've been calling you Robinson. Good old Robinson. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, okay, so we are going to talk about our favorite Star Trek series ranked. This is still a get to know you episode. This is our this is our two part series of getting to know Matt and Dave. Wink. Yeah, we um, are courting you, but we're not going to woo you. That's right. That's right. You you either you either dig our kind of Star Trek liking or you don't. You know, I'd get it if, yeah. you, if you're like, yeah, these guys aren't the kind of fans I am because I listen to a lot of podcasts and there's definitely ones where I'm like, ah, those guys are way too up their own asses or those guys aren't up their asses nearly enough for me. Um, there's really a fine line. <laughs> Why is it all about asses with you, man? <laughs> I don't know, man. Since I was six. Um <laughs> Okay. Let's Luckily, we met when we were five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that small, small window of time where you got to know me before my ass obsession, <laughs> before your ass phase. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's let's move on. Let's get let's get uh, less Freudian. Um, okay. So we're going to talk about our top series, and I say we start from top uh, from the number one on the list. And go okay. to number six on the list because my logic is it's just more fun to hear people celebrate stuff than bash it. And I have a feeling the first one we're going to celebrate highly and the last one we are going to probably bash heavily. So yeah. – uh, and it may be different. I don't know your list yet. Uh, that's, we, we, that's right. You we don't. came up with our list separately, which I kind of like. So we're going to start at number one, which I have a feeling we might be on the same page about, but I don't know. I don't know. You, yeah. I could see my one and two swapping on your one and two, but I don't know. We've talked about mm-hmm. this stuff many times, but never on a microphone until That's right. until these casts. So, uh, let's go with number one. You want to throw your number one out? Uh, my, f- <laughs> it's tough, man. Because oh uh, yeah, I bet it is. I can totally see this being a hard one. For I, you. 
I am really like it is almost like a it's almost like a dead tie for me and it was really hard for me to come up with the number one i feel like there are two answers for it because like in a storytelling sense in a narrative sense uh one is my favorite and then like there's the other one that's just like paradigm setter so right but this one, uh, Deep Space Nine, edges out the original series for me. Ding, ding, ding. And we have a match. Uh, I, my, me as well. Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek. And, and here's my logic. I, I'm with you. Original series it, it is right there under it. But mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine, to me, perfected the form. Still has great moral questions. It, has, mm-hmm. it still has great standalone episodes. But it does, yeah. It, it, it infused a newer sense of storytelling. Um, the, the, the serialized format really fit well with those characters. And honestly, just staying in place. And I know Star Trek, a lot of people don't like Deep Space Nine because of this, because it's so stationary. What I love about that is it causes – there are very few uh, antagonists on Star Trek that return. Mm-hmm. Um, the Borg, like races return, Q returns, yeah. of course, um, and and every once in a while you get like a, a an antagonist that shows up here and there, but for the most part, lore. Um, uh, but for the most part, antagonists in Star Trek are one shot deals. Yeah, and what and, and as we talked about in our last episode, how I lied, I just dislike straw men altogether. Uh, You're right. Characters like Golducott are so interesting. Yeah, um, and I, for me, like, on DS9, like, some of the antagonists are just, the on, like, they live on the station. Yes. And they're antagonists until at some point you look up and you go, oh, shit, they, they've done an entire episode about Garrick. Yeah. Love. Like, Garrick is one of my favorite characters. Um, and he's the protagonist now. Yes. <laughs> and, and understanding where the Cardassians are coming from and the Bajorans, like, it's almost like, DS9 takes what could have been an episode of Star Trek. Like the next and I think it is. I think the next generation, don't they go to Bajor? Or or mm-hmm. don't don't they talk about Bajor and how it's being enslaved by the Cardassians? They absolutely do. In in fact, uh uh Ro Laren, Michelle Forbes right. was supposed to be uh in place of Kira Norris on DS9. They were setting up her character and then like Michelle Forbes like bolted. Okay, so. and and the whole Maquis thing comes comes mm-hmm. from all those uh, this, uh, the TNG stuff that spins off into Voyager. But uh, D Space Nine does just an amazing <laughs> job of taking what could have been an episode of Star Trek. The 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 the, 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 the central stuff of DS Nine is the Bajorans, the Cardassians, and the wormhole aliens, and how the Federation sort of navigates that entire situation. And I could totally see an episode of the original series or TNG where they just come to a planet and they do a short version of that, like a 45-minute version of that story. But instead, we mm-hmm. got to see a seven-season version where you actually get to understand Golducott and what drives him to utter madness. And, like, just, just his, his daughter and, and the – he truly believed himself the benevolent dictator on DS9. Like it's mm-hmm. it's such a great exploration of building an antagonist um, that I, I just it blows me away completely blows me away 
um, and the Bajoran people, how complicated it can be to be a downtrodden people, the, the line between resistance and terrorism and, 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 and the, the blurry line between resistance and terrorism that our, our characters have to, to have to uh, navigate. It's just, it, it, it tackles so many interesting topics in such a cool way with characters that come back and return and each time they get thicker and more interesting. And it, as much as I love the original series, because it, it is, it's the it's the paradigm definer. DS9 just does it on a level. Uh, in many ways, it just is is a big story. Is is the same classic kind of story told, blown out to the degree that you can really analyze every piece of it as it moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. Absolutely, and one of one of the things I really loved about DS9 was how they tackled religion. Like I love. Oh, yes. I loved that, like, for Starfleet, they, these, the prophets were just wormhole aliens, but the Bajorans saw them as gods who were, who were protecting them, and it was both. Right, and, and that's where it really comes down to as the viewer. So, someone has to say it at some point in the show probably, but it's like, what's the difference? Yeah. Like, uh, I think I, think, I, I want to say, like, they, they definitely have that discussion the first time he encounters them, uh, which I guess the first episode they're like, if these are, or well, the first time they realize they live outside of time, mm-hmm. is, is what I'm thinking. The first time they realize that they live outside of time, and the reason they're the prophets is because they literally have seen the future and the past, and they can talk to you throughout it, and it's just amazing. But you what's know, the difference between a god and a wormhole alien with that much power? Uh, you know, and and spoilers if you haven't watched it. Uh, I know a lot of Star Trek fans haven't watched all of DS9 because they just. For whatever reason, I, I hate that argument too. That so many people use, and that, that, that you brought it up before. The argument that um, that oh well, you know, Star Trek's about exploring, and they didn't go anywhere. They were stationary. That's bullshit. They yeah. had they went to the Gamma Quadrant. They had the freaking Defiant. They, you know, uh, instead of exp- and in a lot of ways, instead of exploring outwardly, they explored inwardly. Like that, we had so many. They they explored those characters so so much and so well that they actually just expanded out to the the uh the recurring characters as well like i knew rom better than i knew Riker. <laughs> i think you're right about that <laughs> uh and and and, 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 and you, i would be remiss to not mention not only do they uh, expand on them and dive into those characters mm-hmm. which is very much like <laughs> the exploration that happens on DS9. You're right. They have the Defiant. They have the Gamma Quadrant. They have the Wormhole. They have all those things. But it's also a deep exploration within. Yeah. Um, of within all those characters. They really dive into all those characters and different races and cultures and really do deep dives on a lot of things that other Star Trek just glosses over and speeds Absolutely. by. Because you're going so fast, you're going at warp speed, you miss the things that are passing you by. You miss the depth of the cultures, and you don't get that on Star Trek DS9. You really get depth. <laughs> I feel like we're about to get into that old episode of the Indy Griffith show where the guy like comes through. And uh, he's, he's, he's like, comes through on the weekend, his car breaks down. He's like, I got to get to New York or whatever it was. And then, like, he winds up going to church. He hasn't been to church in a long time or whatever. And the pastor's like, slow down. What's the hurry? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, but, yeah, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine. I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was waiting. I was, I was hearing out the metaphor. I was hearing out the metaphor. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was just a, it was just the, the comment that you mean. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, so, I'm sorry. Oh, it's, it's totally fine. <laughs> For me, Deep Space Nine is just the best fusion of like modern storytelling. A, res- a real respect for the universe mm-hmm. with all the stuff they, with the Klingons. They the original series more than TNG ever did. Yeah. Despite having actual cast members from TNG, uh, from the original series. Yeah. And then it's still great standalone moral stories. Many episodes are still great standalone moral stories. They still have, you still get that episodic trek. If you, if you're, if you're hungry for that, if you're, mm-hmm. thir- if you're thirsty for that episodic trek, then it's right there for you. But, they also combine that with good overarching storytelling and just, yeah, I, the the Klingons, the, the the appearance of that like trio, what is it, Kang, Kor, and Koloth? Yeah, the three from the original series. Yeah. yeah, original series Klingons actually appearing as allies in DS Nine is one of the most fun things. And friends of Dax. Yeah, and friends of Dax who <laughs> fought beside them in the old days. It's just that's so much fun. It's just so that's much great. fun. Um, if you haven't seen all of DS Space Nine, you should absolutely see DS Space Nine. Um, oh yeah, but uh, I, that was the thing that I was like about to spoil the the uh, the realization that the prophets set into motion the very birth of, of Captain Cisco. Oh yes, oh yes, that's that's it's fantastic. Yeah, they 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 like yeah. The, the, I'd, I'd forgotten that, so that's 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 crazy. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, and the, the the prophets, the prophets are such an interesting interesting thing. Um, I, I, lo- I love the balance. The balance that they strike on that show between religion and science is better than any any other show. I um, agree. I, I I was really excited when Ronald D. Moore moved over to Battlestar Galactica, and was tackling some of the same issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Cylons, and then in mm-hmm. the last season, he just—I—at least to me—it felt like he went full-on religion with it, hmm. and it really disappointed me. So I love the first three seasons of Battlestar, but then in season four, they just really leaned into the religious side of the argument, and it made to in a way that I was like, "Oh, this is—the question is gone," and so I, I lose interest. It's almost like. One of the one of the things in our lives that we're trying to do is is figure out the mysteries of the universe, and God or lost. What? Or lost? <laughs> the mystery of the universe or lost? That's true. That's true. Um, the, the television show Lost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. It 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 was a confusing time as well. Uh, but it, 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 I lose interest in a show when it acts like it has the answer to that question. Yeah. Because. Even as sure as we can be about our religions, uh, it still feels like there are questions to be answered. Um, and anyone who, who acts like they have every answer, it, it just it doesn't interest me because it rings as false or rings as preachy, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you want to move on to the next show? Our next sure. in our series of, series of our six favorite uh, Star Trek series. Absolutely, man. Maybe we should just uh, do a top five. That seems to make sense because I have a feeling we're going to have the same bottom. Uh, okay. So we already pretty much revealed what our what our second in the series is. Absolutely. The original series. The original series. Um, I bounced between this one and TNG actually as well. For, yeah, for me, this that was that. for me. That was the the jockeying that I had to do. Uh for me, D Space Nine was always going to be number one. 
but the original series had to go on top of PNG for me because it is it, it's the it's the original. I mean, I, like that's what it really came down to. Mm-hmm. And I think that in many ways it does a better job of exploring humanity in little one hour one hour moral tales, you know. Absolutely, um, it is very like people kind of forget that like there 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 there's a lot of like misconceptions and false memories I feel like about the original series. Um, certainly, it got a little wonk. Uh, it got it got pretty wonky, uh, especially closer to the end. But um, you know, when you go back and you look at the at the first episodes, there is a progression. If you actually look at them in, in production order, um, you will see a more militaristic Kirk. You'll see, you know, Kirk lonely and sort of like very burdened with his command. Yeah, um, feeling like he he you know to to have someone to love is to show weakness. Um, to his crew, really strange, all like kind of old fashioned uh, ideas, you know, yeah, about command and leadership. Um, but even from you know McCoy's first episode, they are laying in that those two knew each other from you know back in the day. Like they, they actually do a fair amount of of nice character building just in those first few episodes. Um, I, I, I just you bring up McCoy and I, I think I mentioned it in the last episode but I really love one of the major, major things I love about that show is the dynamic between McCoy, Spock and Kirk just like mm-hmm. the, the, the trio that leads them is, is to me uh, it, one of the most one of the best things about that show because it's as I said on the last cast it's, it's the emotions leading McCoy Logic leading Spock and Kirk having to figure out decide between those two, and it it's that internal struggle we all have to sort of deal with, uh, personified and put on the screen, and it's a great allegory mm-hmm. for like just human human understanding and human I don't know movement through what they're trying to <laughs> movement through this world of making real decisions. Um, right, uh, I just love that, and I love that there is actually like. There is an arc to that to their friendship. Like if you go back and you look at uh, where No Man Has Gone before, McCoy's not even there. Spock and Kirk are very much at odds about what to do with Kirk's best friend Gary Mitchell, who has become possessed by something in the barrier. Um, well, we they say that it's uh, lots of lots of extended universe stuff has, sure. has kind of played with what it, that might have been, whether it be a Q or Proteus from the X-Men universe or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all extended uh, universe stuff. We'll skip that. <laughs> I, d- I, d- I direct you to memory beta Wikia for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I, I, uh, there's a, there's a very much, and it's, it is missing in that second pilot where no man has gone before, where you don't have the McCoy, uh, persona there. You just have Kirk, who's kind of doing the same, doing the job of McCoy and himself, and it really does make Spock just look like an emotionless bastard, right? Because Spock is just straight up like, "You need to kill Gary Mitchell while you, well, before he gets too powerful." And you're just like, "Damn, Spock!" Really? It, it puts Kirk <laughs> on the side of always having to be the the emotional one. 
yeah. uh, having to acknowledge humanity instead of it. And, and, and it, Kirk being the decider allows McCoy to be a bit irrational, which is mm-hmm. part of emotions. And that and that part of emotions is that sometimes they drive you to do the wrong thing. And yeah. so it, it, it's great to have those two pushing against each other. Um, and some – I know we talked a lot about uh, – we're, we're, we've already – this show has gotten – more political talk in the last episode mm-hmm. than maybe my Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast has ever done. Um, oh yeah, we don't ever talk about it in DC it, it, we, on we, screen. It, but it's just so it's such an essential part of all this stuff, and I don't really want to get into too much into the politics of it. But like, oftentimes, uh, the sort of the the same sorts of problems you 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 face in these shows are the sort of uh, are at least what they should be. Please forgive me. Modern conservatism currently is in a weird place, but cla- classic, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But classic, <laughs> classic conservatism is about logic and building a system that functions best for everyone. Mm-hmm. And then classic liberalism is kind of about giving a hand up to those who need it, and, mm-hmm. and so. A lot of what you find in that show, Spock is sort of standing in for what a conservative view of of what you should do is, and and in many ways, McCoy is the bleeding heart of the show. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and, I, and I think that 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 sort of dynamic exists and is super interesting to explore, and 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 could be an interesting thing now. Uh, but we are we're in such a divided political time; uh, it, it's hard to even talk about that on this podcast. Uh, so I understand why. People wouldn't want to talk about it on a mm-hmm. multi-billion, do- multi-million dollar show they're making. <laughs> like, and you know, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't really considered it before, but I think it's interesting that these are our top two when we, you look at the triumvirate of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Because I don't think any other show has that, except for DS Nine. Huh. Because Kira, Kira Norris is very much like the bleeding heart in a lot of ways, and then sometimes she's very much not. You know, they kind of switch it up. Odo is usually kind of the Spock character, right? Well, I think that they they do something interesting with uh, Deep Space Nine, where I don't know who the the triumvirate is for DS Nine. I really, it's, like you said, they change it up, and that's the thing yeah. is like you have a captain and you have a lot of people and they all have mm-hmm. their different perspectives and they all have very nuanced, different opinions and they're all based on their own personal yes. experience and their own logic. And like, there's not mm-hmm. just, I like the allegory of the original series because it's so simple. It's so logic, emotions, you decide, but in real life, it's not that simple. And I like how, I like how complex DS nine is because yes, yeah. You've got Dax, uh, who who is very driven by like understanding, and she has a long lifespan, and so she has this like sort of um, is a very very emotional, uh, but also very intelligent person. Whereas yeah. whereas McCoy sort of seemed like a, I, I hate to say it, uh, this is not this is not supposed to seem negative, but it probably does. He sort of seems <laughs> oh. sort of bumpkin esque at times. Like like yeah, he like he doesn't he does. understand he's in space almost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, so, see, I, I get something completely different from McCoy. I get that McCoy is is very much a bumpkin in a lot of ways. Like he's very intelligent, but he's also right. like 
terrified of technology. He doesn't exactly. like to use the transporter. He doesn't like that is like one of the things that sold me on the two thousand nine trek. Ur- Urban's Urban is so Urban's good. Like, you know, death is uh, know, space is death and disease. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> so good. Uh, There's darkness and death and disease. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I, I, I think that he is that sort of wild-eyed emotionalism, whereas she is a much more thoughtful sort of mm-hmm. bleeding heart. I'm going to use the word bleeding heart because I don't like using liberal and conservative because it has different connotations these days. Um, yeah, but well, th- so does the term bleeding heart. Right, but but you it's – but th- you know I'm not meaning it as like a – in a bad way. I mean it as she just cares about people. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying it derogatory. Um so you you have you have this sort of intelligent bleeding heart, which is interesting, and then you've got Kieran Reese, who is also very fiery. And I would I would I mean she is his second in command. I would consider mm-hmm. her sort of one of the triumvirate, but she's also yeah. all fire and emotion. But it's a, it's a very specifically related to her past as someone who has a very limited experience. So you have this. There is lots of prejudice on DS9. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's tons of prejudice. Um, and, 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 and there's tons of prejudice and there's tons of opportunities for people to overcome that prejudice. Oh, I love we have that always, show. we've always joked that like in the 24th century, uh, Star Trek universe that, you know, everyone had to be, all of the Federation of Starfleet had to be, uh, very evolved and there could be no inner conflict. And importantly, and specifically Bashir and O'Brien never got that memo. Yes. Because they are like the most homophobic, <laughs> ridiculous individuals. <laughs> yeah, they are so homophobic, and it's wonderful. Uh, it's wonderful because it's played for laughs. Like a show, a character can be flawed on a show. Yeah, they're not. They're not. It's not a, a standard to uh, aspire to. Right. They are not aspire. <laughs> it drove me nuts a couple couple years ago um, when the new Netflix special came out for Dave Chappelle. I guess it was this year, probably. Um, Dave Chappelle came out with his new stand-up special, and he had a joke in there about how he was supposed to go to a Black Lives Matter meeting, but he got offered a chance to go to the Grammys, I think it was, and he was or like – the Oscars or something. The Oscars, yeah, yeah something like something. that. And he was like, yeah. but I've never been to the Oscars. And he's like, they don't need me. They got Stevie Wonder performing or something like that. And he, and he <laughs> decided to go to the Oscars instead of going to – a Black Lives Matter rally, and so many people got mad at him for that. But you, what you, you're taking away the context of it being a comedy, and that Dave Chappelle is not the hero of the story. There, like the joke is, look what a shithead I am, and we all have shithead tendencies. And if you don't acknowledge that humans have shithead tendencies, you're not acknowledging humanity. Um, and and. People aren't perfect, and Star Trek shouldn't treat them like they are. Right. Um, you can have systems in place to make a great society, but you still have to figure out a way to deal with humans within that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's and I, I love the challenge of that. I, lo- I yeah. love Star Trek so much. Are we talking about the original series right now? <laughs> so, well, we went back to DS9, but I feel again, like that's going to happen. Like, yeah, there are certain things in between, like. Yeah, it's got to go back and forth. Odo, Odo is definitely the logic source. If, if we're getting back to Triumph, yeah. that's where that's where that's where we made the jump. Odo is definitely yeah. one of the logical sources. So is Worf, uh, in many ways. Worf is fiery, but he's fiery from see he's logic, 
but he's all security logic. He, they just all have backstories mm-hmm. and histories that make them who they yeah. are. Oh, I love this show. Yeah, but yeah, the so original series uh, <laughs> is 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 dated. It is dated. It is it, and it. I am a guy who my tastes change over time, and I am a victim of the internet. I am hard. I find it hard to watch a video if it's more than thirty seconds long. Uh, I find it hard to settle in and watch a show if I don't if I'm not also playing a game on my phone, which I hate about mm-hmm. myself. Uh, I'm I'm a classic self loather, but. Uh, I also acknowledge that about myself, and I do watch these old episodes, and sometimes I'm like, I am, I'm bored. I'm a little bored. This scene is taking too long. This scene could easily be, have been two, two lines of dialogue. I, I need you to move on. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, you know, but it's, to me, most of the time, it's not, like, overwhelmingly boring. Like, I really like how much time they take to really ensconce you into some of this, into the scenery. Mm-hmm. Like, um, sure. I'm, I'm definitely not saying it's, it's not cool to watch. I just I like I, how I, old stuff is though. I like yeah, the patter. You're, how they talk. You, you, you're more, you're much more forgiving of the datedness than I am. And I, I have tried to do a rewatch. I've seen all the episodes when I was younger and I've tried to do a rewatch as an adult. And I'm not great at getting through the, the original series, but it's still on the top for me because of the dynamics. There are scenes in the original series that beat probably anything in Star Trek, <laughs> just mm-hmm. the, the classic nature of them. Um, but there is a lot to slog through in a way. Not that much. It's only 79 episodes. Right. Well, 79 <laughs> episodes is 79 hours, you know. However many hours that works out to be, but it's it's a lot of hours of content to try. Yeah, to, I know. When 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 there are parts that aren't great, it's about sixty hours of content that you're like, all right, what happens? Uh, I could you could tell me this in a quick teleplay, and I'd be probably just as interested or whatever. I like I'm 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 just saying the one. This is what no. one of the reasons it's notched below D Space Nine for me. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's still number two and- on my list. I, I do want to. I do want to say. I think it was only like out of seventy nine episodes. I think Kirk only kissed like eighteen women. <laughs> That's still a pretty high number. And most of the time, it was to try to trick them. That's almost into well, I, getting out of something. I don't think that's uh, not their clothes, right? And I, I think that's well known though. Like I, I think that's part of the trope is that he well, like. Yeah, I know that is he's known as like kind of a man whore, but like yeah, I think it's part of the trope that he's like. <laughs> Uh, woman, let me use you as sex and plot device. Um, like it's it, there, there, there's that's that's all part of that Kurt trope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and eight, but, eighteen know, is a lot out of seventy nine. <laughs> well, okay, twenty five percent. Twenty five percent of episodes, he's kissing someone. It's just a lot of people to kiss over three years. He almost beat my three year record. But I feel like it's also not Chris Pine who can't even walk down the corridor of the Enterprise without stopping and turning around to look at, you know, the yeomans and stuff. Like, Yeah, but I can definitely imagine a slightly younger Kirk who's not in command uh, being a sort of, you know, lascivious sort of just bouncing, <laughs> bouncing from bunk to bunk at Starfleet. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's a mischaracterization of who he – like a, no. once he's older and it – that's, we're talking about 18 people he kissed while on duty, while in command. 
over not three over all three years. But, right, okay, okay. I'm sorry, but while in while in command of a starship, and most of them were in the course of his duties, he kissed that many women. I think it is fair to say he might have been a bit of a charmer at a young age and a bit of a uh, a bit of a jumper into bed. But you know, like the Chris Pine version of him sort of like plays him as sort of a goofy frat boy. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't see him as a charmer at all. He's just like, I'm good looking, kiss me. <laughs> right. I I do think he's played a little frattier is probably a good word for it. Uh, but yeah. I but I I they were they were trying to capture a different audience, I guess. But I don't think that that is completely inconsistent with who he could have been and also it's a different man i mean you, you really you really want to go there it's, it's a different man it is. lost his it father is. lost it his is. father at a young age I had to had to be taken in taken in it, but he got taken in as a young boy by a by a frat um by a starfleet <laughs> fraternity a starfleet fraternity he yeah, was like I, the I, young I, young boy mascot of a, of a starfleet fraternity it's a different universe different man but they were doing that because they're like oh this is what people the mainstream knows about kirk Right. Yeah, that's it's true. Not even that's true. A thing, really. Yeah, I mean, like, it, I, it's not not a thing. It's definitely I mean, something that's. It is in the show. Like he does, kissing it eighteen. Is in the show, yeah. Eighteen women is is a lot of women for any character to kiss over a three year period. I if you're not watching Court How Marshall, I Met Your Mother, I think Court Martial McCoy mentions that he was a he was a ladies' man in the academy. Oh yeah, there you go. All right. Let's go to our. Let's go on to our third show. I feel like these are going to get shorter and shorter as we go down. Honestly, I didn't Probably. think we'd have that much to say about TOS. I was honestly thinking I'd just purely rely on you because I, even though I ranked it number two, honestly, my main sources is just the original, and I like the trio so mm-hmm. much. I like the I like the way that show couches moral decisions as what they are. Um, it's so bald faced in its sort of allegory that I I just mm-hmm. kind of like the uh, I, I like that nature of it. I guess. Yeah, and it just, I mean, even beyond the triumvirate, dude, Scotty, like, Chekhov, like, I don't know, man. Everybody's great. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, they're the, they're the, they're just American icons at this point. Yeah, I'm with you. Totally with you. All right, number three. You, you I, I'll go first on this one. My, sure. num- my number three is The Next Generation. That's what I landed on as well. Man, we are ding, ding, dinging all over the place. I don't know that we'll have a difference. I'm wondering because these last three were a lot more uh, uh, toss-ups in my head. I, I will say my sense of serialized storytelling, my like my preference for that, almost made me put Enterprise above TNG. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> it sounds like we have the same number four, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my sense for serialized storytelling almost made me put at one point, when I was thinking about all this, I almost put Enterprise above it, and I uh-huh. almost put Discovery above it. Um, mm. See, I, uh, I love TNG, and there's so much classic in there, and there's so much to chew on and so much I grew up on. But yeah. I do, Some of the same problems that I have with Voyager, which I've now revealed as my sixth, uh, <laughs> revealing too early, um, some of my problems that I have with Voyager, I also have a TNG, and it is the uh-huh. the lack of serialized storytelling. Um, and I, it's not that they don't do it at all; they often do it with like season openers, season closers. They have they have a few arcs in there where people have 
have uh, have had things happen to them, and yeah. they are things that get referenced throughout the show. But you look at most of the characters in like season two, and they're pretty much the same at the end of the show. Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. Season think, one, they're still figuring out who everybody is, but once they like, land on who everyone is, they pretty much don't change. If you look at what actually happened, not a dream sequence episode or anything, the last episode, the two major developments are Worf and Troy are getting together. They're just blossoming as a, as a relationship. And Picard, last seen, goes to play poker with everyone and says, I should have done this a long time ago. Yeah, you should have. Yeah. You should have. Should, that should have been. Yeah, like, it, it really is. <laughs> you know, I just talked, we just talked about DS9 and how it is, from a plot perspective, from an overarching plot perspective, it is like they blew out one little planet they that the, the, the Enterprise might visit and made it like a whole thing. They made an entire series about one planet where you've got a, a race of people that's overthrowing a race of people that's been enslaving them and what are the mm-hmm. effects of that. Yeah. That's the plot. But the characters, they dive so deep into those characters and they change and grow so much. It's, it is really a, an analysis of character. TNG flips that. There's a lot of stuff that happens both to the Federation and to, and to these people. If they go through a lot of things – Picard, but Picard's story, who, you know, he is the main character. He's the captain of the show. Picard's story is, I'm the captain of a starship, and I'm kind of a loner. I went through a lot of events in my life, but then finally in the last episode, my arc, I finally just, like, turned the corner on that arc. Instead of having multiple things where he grows and changes and over time develops, there's just no character development. Um, there are character changes slightly, but not really. You look at you really look at the final episode and and episode season two, and you can just point to where those people would be, and they yeah. they're still there. Weirdly enough, I think the, the the characters to get the most development out of TNG are Data and Wesley. Uh, yeah. D- well, Data is definitely a character where. Uh, because of the nature of him as a character, as an artificial life form. Wesley, too. He just grew up. Right, 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 right. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. But Data, I'm just saying they fo- they actually focused on him growing as a character. Like, they really yeah. they really spent time focusing. I don't know that that happened with Wesley. Uh, he just actually grew up, like you said. Like, they, the actor grew up and I mean, changed. They did. They, they did a lot of stuff. He went to Starfleet Academy. He didn't make it in. Then he, like, tried again and... There was, like, some stuff going on with, like, the Traveler, you know, when he right. uh, tried to stop that. That was so weird, the last Native American uh, colonization. They're trying to give it up to the Cardassians. It was part of some, uh, you know, the this big treaty or something. I don't remember exactly. But uh, and he took a stand and then wound up leaving with uh, the Traveler. Like, there was, like, a lot of – there was a lot of stuff going on with Wes. Yeah. And and I also and I and I'm definitely not I haven't watched every episode in a long time, but I feel this is yeah. so this is purely a feeling. Uh but I feel like a lot of the problems and the moral debates on TNG mm-hmm. are a little more cut and dry. Like I feel like a lot of times like Wesley believe is trying to stop them from taking over that uh that final Native American 
thing, a uh, Native colony. American colony. Uh, yeah. And you just kind of know Picard is wrong. Then, like, you know, like to, 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 to toe the yeah. Federation line, like, there's just an obvious right and wrong in a lot of those episodes, which is another, another one of those, like, sort of straw man problems. I think well, see, I TNG does that more than others. See, I, I felt like that was, like, what they were trying to get us to understand is that Picard was wrong. But if you look at the actual, like, pr- if you look at the problem he's faced with, like, this is, like, a big deal. Like, we're talking about, like, not having peace with the Cardassians because sure. they can't, you know. Yeah, like they, well, and that's they, the thing. is like, yeah. I think they... It, I can't really argue it. We need we need to actually watch the episode before I argue it because yeah, because it's been a while. from from my memory, it's just such a clear the, the, they they couch it as such a clear thing that Wesley's doing the right thing, and they mm-hmm. could have easily made an argument if they're gonna have one of your main characters choose the other side, even mm-hmm. if it's an antagonist, even especially if it's your captain, if you're gonna have him on the opposite side of one of your other main characters. You need to show me their compelling reason and not just like kind of a following orders kind of thing. Which I yeah. again, it's been a long time. That's just it's my. It's been about it's been about six years for me since I saw Journey's End. So. Yeah, probably, that's probably about me too. I I really want to rewatch all of Star Trek, and that's part of what this cast is going to do. We're going to rewatch some stuff and go over some of our favorite and some of our least favorite episodes and really dive into some old stuff and all mm-hmm. the new stuff. So I'm just excited to be here, man. This has been fun. Yeah, but you know. TNG and the reason it falls so low on my list, though, one of the reasons is like it is very much like to me, it's very much Law and Order Star Trek. Like right. I could just put on an episode while I'm doing anything and just have it going in the background. I love that, but that's also its biggest fault. Like, like there's so much stuff they never went back to. They just never went back to and picked up. Like just dangling plot threads, like. Uh, when we, when uh, Q and, and Guinan meet, or in like they've clearly had a history, and Q tells Picard that uh, she's not what she appears to be; she's an imp. Like, what the hell does that mean? They never went back to it, and like Guinan did some kind of weird like hand things, and like stood weird, and like like she had some sort of like innate uh, defense against Q. They just never hit that up again. They never went back to, like, the aliens that had, like, completely taken over Starfleet. These these parasites that were making heads blow up, which <laughs> might be the most grease, gruesome episode of Star Trek ever. And that's because, like, at the end of the episode, like, they had sent off their little, like, uh, their, their little signal to uh, to their their people. And they just eventually just, like, made that in, into the Borg and never, like, hit up. Like, those were supposed to be the big bads of TNG after mm. the Ferengi. Like, that was supposed to be a big arc of these, like, this invasion. Interesting. Never happened. Yeah, I need to go back and see. I just need to go back and watch more TNG. I need to go back and watch all of it again. And I That's right. we'll, we'll do more of that. Um, <laughs> I, but, yeah, TNG, I feel like I w- I, we've been a little negative about TNG, and I don't. I think that's. No, I think, I'm not trying to be. I know. Just, I think part of the reason. I think part of the reason we're being negative is because it came in third on our list, and we still love it. So we're trying to explain ourselves, but I also think we should say the things we like about it. Well, which, like every every Star Trek podcast I've listened to, when they talk about their favorite, everyone's like, oh, "I grew up watching TNG. It's my favorite." Yeah, uh-huh. me too. That's the thing. Yeah. I, that's one of the again different perspective. That's one of the reasons we're here, is because 
we don't feel the same way everyone feels about Star Trek. I feel like a lot of people grew up on TNG, and then there's a whole slightly younger generation than me who grew up on Voyager. And I think Voyager is the worst. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 like, I just think there's, there's – there, and, I, and I have quantifiable reasons I feel that way, and it's not just because I grew up on it and I like Harry Kim and Tom Paris, uh, which I yeah. did. I liked Harry Kim and Tom Paris a lot. I was I was a I guess when I was ten I really liked all the boys on the show because I didn't uh, just uh, all my favorites were always like the couple guys who were friends on the ship even DS Nine I really loved Julian and uh, and Miles and Julian yeah. and Miles but that was more later season and that was a little more of a adult reasons for those things uh, <laughs> <laughs> I also love Kira though and I, I, I don't know DS Nine I, I guess I got more complex but it's hard it was it was hard for me to connect with any of the characters on Voyager because I just didn't feel like they they had much to connect with um, but TNG I do love I do love the characters um, even though they don't change they do explore them a good bit and I do care about Jordy and I care about Data and I uh, I find some of the characters to be fairly thin and exploitative. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I don't think that um, Counselor the, Troy. The, is... the TNG characters are. It's more about what they like than what they are like. Okay, explain what you mean. You know what I mean? Like it was like uh, yeah, Commander Riker likes to play the saxophone. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And, okay, but at the beginning of the show, we, you know, Troy said the thing he wanted more in the universe was to be a captain. But like over and over again, he keeps saying, I'm not ready to be a captain. I'm going to stay on the Enterprise. Well, aside from contracts with Jonathan Frakes, why? Yeah. Yeah, I think they could have easily <laughs> made him a captain. I mean, there's all kinds of things you could have done. Uh, you could have mm-hmm. made him a captain and given like episodes to different on different ships where he's his own captain. Or they could have spun him off. They could have done all kinds of things at different points. Or was um, that just a thing they kept saying early on because they knew that they weren't sure that they had Patrick Stewart forever? You know? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe the plan was to kill off Patrick Stewart and and or, or you know kill off Picard and have him step in. Uh, well, I don't know. I haven't. I have heard this a lot, but I think when he got grabbed by the Borg, that was supposed to be his out, and they had a contract negotiation going through. Like, Interesting. Best of Both Worlds Part 2, uh, apparently, from what I hear, I don't know if this is true, this was, is, this is rumor. depending on, depending, well, it's hearsay from other podcasts. Okay. Um, mo- mostly. I, I haven't actually seen, seen it written so this anywhere, is, but. We're not only a third-rate podcast, people. We're a third-hand podcast. Welcome into the Hearsay Podcast. <laughs> Welcome into the Star Trek Hearsay Podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I, from what I understand, the, the best of both worlds, the, the outcome of that was very much dependent on whether or not Patrick Stewart came back. Interesting. Some of that stuff is so interesting, and I, I hate it because I want shows to be written by the writers, not by well, I, lawyers and contract negotiations. Yeah. Um, I I love, but I but it, but it's crazy. Uh, you know the story about um, SNL like season whatever the John the second John Lovett season. You know about that story? Or the, it's not a it's not a, it's not a even a behind the scenes story. Uh, at the end of the se- the first John Lovett season, John Lovett hits it big with his liar character, 
And yeah. other than that, the rest of the show is doing very poorly. Yeah, yeah. And it's Lorne like, Michaels, like, pours gasoline on the outside of the, the green room. Yeah, and in in universe, <laughs> in, in the universe that is Saturday Night Live, he, he starts a fire, and then there's, like, some sort of thing that comes up that says, like, we'll see who makes it out next year. And then it shows like John Lovitz getting in a car with Lauren Michaels and taking off or something like that. I oh was, no, they, no, he sets it on fire and then he goes, Oh, you know what? I can't do this. I can't do this. And he goes in and grabs John Lovitz and pulls him out and then closes <laughs> the door. <laughs> and they literally fired the entire cast except John Lovitz. Like yeah. it's crazy. They wrote that into the ending of the show. That is so crazy. Uh, but it almost sounds like that sort of thing. And, and, and they like, to, to to write that stuff into the show and leave it on a cliffhanger like that um, is interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen I've seen other shows do that where I know there's intense contract negotiations and they leave it on a cliffhanger and you're like, are they seeing about killing that character off for real? That's real. That's a stupid way to leave a cliffhanger. Um, I, I heard they did that on Walking Dead as well. There's a there's a mm. big Walking Dead scene where at the end of a season someone dies but you're not sure who. And the big question mm-hmm. over the seasons was who, who who's actually dead, and apparently it was partially because of a contract negotiation that, that was going on. It was like, well, we could kill any one of you now, so any one of you that wants to come back, you better play ball. <laughs> I um, uh, I just saw a headline for Walking Dead. It was like Walking Dead kills off longest standing non speaking extra, and I went, really? <laughs> <laughs> this is a headline. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was watching Walking Dead last night. Um, and it was it was notable because I don't think anyone died in the episode, and it was uh-huh. notable because almost always some some extra dies or whatever. Uh, maybe some extra did die last night. It must but or or it was the week before. Anyway, I just I was just noting like I wonder if they're just like getting to the point where they just can't lose that many characters or whatever. I don't know. I yeah, I definitely I, noticed they're, they're 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 doing less killing off main characters. Although mm-hmm. I think they might be getting – apparently the, uh, Rick Grimes, the main character, is leaving this season. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, yeah. that's a different podcast that we haven't started yet. Um, I, I don't watch the show, so gonna, I won't be We're going to have to do a Walking Dead rewatch with Matt and Dave. Um, no. Come on, man. Come on, man. There's at least two no. good seasons. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my issue. Like Two of ten, man. Two of ten. This is why I don't take recommendations so early on in a show's run where people are like, oh, you got to watch this. It's great. And then like three years later, they're like, oh, it's not worth it. Yeah, but then you're, then you're never on the cutting edge of something. And it's really fun. It's need... really fun to be like in the conversation while things are going down. Like that's a... I'm on the cutting edge of all the DC shows and of, the, of Star Trek. That's, yeah, that's right. That's right. You got, so, sometimes you got to choose your universe. Yeah. And we've chosen star trek all right tng is wonderful we do love tng those are our issues that's why it ended up at three but we do love it uh we grew up mm-hmm. on it too um it is what won me over to star trek and therefore sci-fi like even though i, I respect the original series a little more as a could because it is the creator of the paradigm it is it's tng that got me into things like the relationship between Geordi and data is like the first science fiction thing i ever paid attention to you know um, yeah. mm, nope, that's not true. Take it back. Uh, if you want to call it science fiction, which I do, uh, I don't know why I said if you want to call it, because it's just a little wibbly wobbly timey wimey. But uh, Back to the Future is probably the first science fiction thing that I got into. I, w- okay. I went to see Back to the Future three on like my fifth birthday. 
mm-hmm. and I loved the movie so much. I had a birth, I had a uh, Back to the Future birthday party, and we went to see it in theaters that day, Back to the Future Three. And there's video somewhere of me with a guitar sliding on my back while we listened to Johnny Be Good on the floor as a five year old. I, w- awesome. I wish I still had that video. I'm sure my parents have lost it because they don't keep up with anything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there was video for a long time of me, like, sliding around on the floor. I'm like, that's that's still me. That's still me. Yeah. I, I remember rushing over to your house after church and playing the uh, Back to the Future 3 uh, video game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The tri- I don't think I ever got past that first level. Jumping the hay barrels? Yeah, you're like riding a horse, jumping hay bales or something. And yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. way too difficult for a five, yeah. for five-year-old, six-year-old Matt. Okay, guys, um, on to number four. Now we're going to get into the scrape in the bottom of the barrel. Our lesser favorites. Not uh-huh. saying they're bad, but lesser. Number four, <laughs> and it sounds like we have the exact same list, which is not good for drama. No. <laughs> we're not we're not providing much drama here we are the berman era of drama <laughs> so number four what you got dave enterprise same here ding 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 we officially have the same list um yeah. <laughs> i didn't know that was gonna happen i knew we had some some similarities but i really thought some of this middle stuff would get just jumped around but you know <clears throat> i guess great mm-hmm. great minds as well as other types of minds think alike um, I'm not saying what we are. I'm just saying we're probably the I, same yeah. kind of mind. Enterprise. A couple of centrist assholes who grew up together liking the same shit. <laughs> that came up with the same it's a, ranking. It's a good tagline for the show. Um, <laughs> I expect it to be in our, in our show description. <laughs> a couple of centrist assholes <laughs> who grew up liking the same shit. Yeah. Um, all right, so Enterprise <laughs> is a show that I think it gets a weird sort of rocky start. Um, I enjoyed it from the beginning, but by the end, it's like a really good show. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's not as iconic as the other shows, um, and it, it's a little more pandery, I think, to – the lowest common denominator at times. Uh, they were, you know, they were fighting though. Like Les Moonves, mm-hmm. <laughs> among his many other sins that have recently come out, um, apparently really tried to get like boy bands on the show to like play, like dressed up like aliens to play in like the, uh, I guess the Enterprise wow. Lounge. Wow. Yeah, like that was a thing that they were trying to get them to do. It, uh, that is that is called not knowing your audience. Um, <laughs> well, when you're pairing Enterprise with SmackDown, right? Yeah, they didn't know their audience, and that and that's that's a problem. And it does well, it, they, it does they feel kind of did. the show. <laughs> you think you think the SmackDown audience? Was well, the, look when we had Vo- the Rock show up on Voyager to fight Seven of Nine, that was a problem for me. That was stupid. That was absolutely stupid. I don't. I don't know if I think that's that stupid. I don't remember. I don't remember the episode that well, uh, to be honest. But I mean, The Rock's a great actor. I like The Rock. He could show well, he up. He didn't on have show. any. He didn't have any anything to do other than he came out and he had like some bumps on his head and he did his eyebrow thing. Right. Yeah. That, and then he fought seven. That is. It was stupid. That is definitely weird. It's definitely weird. I I haven't seen the episode in so long. I can't remember yeah. how weird it would be. Uh, but. 
Enterprise, sticking to Enterprise for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it, it it came out shortly before 9/11, and I think the show changed directions pretty drastically uh, mm-hmm. because of 9/11. Um, the the Zindi attack on Earth is so obviously uh, just like just like we've talked about with a lot of these different uh, different obvious allegories is so obvious an allegory for um, the for nine eleven uh, and mm-hmm. and how they deal with it and how they bridge the gap between the cultures. Uh, it, it's really it's a really well done show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I know all this nine eleven talk doesn't make it sound fun. But I, I actually do think it's. We started nine eleven allegories. It's a really fun show. Yeah, uh, so fun, so fun. Um, and then they they do have a few of the same problems of uh, you know interference. I feel like from uh, from the camps at the studios that wanted to make it more of a palatable show to the the masses instead of like just steer into being a nerd show. Like I think. In, we haven't fully learned our lessons, but some shows these days have learned mm-hmm. their lessons that, like, just steer into what makes your show your show. Like, be your show. And that, and honestly, even, even our podcast, we've talked a lot about, like, ah, oh, we don't know about starting a podcast because so many people feel so strongly about certain Star Trek things. Yeah. And we and we finally landed on, you know what, we just got to be us and talk about Star Trek the way we like to talk about Star Trek yeah. and find our audience and that's the way you find an audience these days is, is in anything, whether it's TV, music, podcasts. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you, you've got you've to know who you are and what you're trying to make. You try to cater to everyone, you're not going to find an audience because no one cares. Your you're lowest common denominator um, stuff. Yeah. Uh, Enterprise, uh, I feel like it got a bad rap early on because, one, they were eschewing the name Inter- uh, Sorry, Star Trek for a long time, for like two years. Wow, um, they just called it Enterprise. Yeah, I think uh, somehow I feel like even Scott Bakula, as much as I like Scott Bakula, and I think he was a great captain, I think he got he got made fun of a lot. The Quantum Leap guy, and I'm like the Quantum Leap yeah. guy. Like, I, I love Quantum Leap. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I could do. I love it. Love it so much. I'm like, what? What the hell's wrong with Quantum Leap? Donald Belisario. Yeah, the show. The show's wonderful. Magnum Pi. That show is absolutely wonderful, <laughs> and so. I wasn't upset. It made sense to me. It's another sci-fi show, like, and but 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 I guess Quantum Leap has sort of a weird reputation. So the Scott Bakula of it all, and I do think the whole having a Maxim <laughs> model as your as your mm-hmm. as one of your first main characters um, into Paul was a little and Jolene Blaylock being on there was a little uh, as as <laughs> I was very of two minds at the time. <laughs> well. <laughs> I was like, man, I don't know about this. It feels weird to put a Maxim model as a main character on a Star Trek show. It just, it just feels a little. It, it feels a little, even even at whatever age I was. Um, I don't know. I was probably teens at that point, right? No, I guess I was probably no, twenty, twenty one, twenty two thousand one to two thousand five. So okay, so yeah, I was I was, I, I was I in my was, early twenties. I'll tell you a little story, guys. Uh, Tell and us. gals, whoever may be listening. Gather around the campfire. Um, Matt and I were in college uh, when this show was coming on. And in fact, the the only way Matt was watching it for a while was I was taping, because I used to tape everything. I had VHS tapes of Star Trek all over the place. Yes, you did. 
and I was taping off Star Trek Enterprise for Matt, and I was even like designing the little covers for the VHS and bringing him volumes, like he was in the freaking like those old what was it the Star Trek Columbia collection or something, yeah. like where they were like sending you VHS every uh, yep. every month. Uh, so whatever that was, uh, I don't remember. Uh, I remember that's how I got, uh, a few episodes of TNG on tape because you were doing that when you were, when we were teenagers. So, um, but yeah, so that's how Matt watched, uh, probably the first season of Star Trek. Yeah. I watched the first season and then I fell off of it and it wasn't until probably 22, 23 as getting later in college. One of my friends was like, you got to go back and finish enterprise. I was like, all right. And I did. I think it was me. Uh, no, actually, it wasn't. It was my buddy Adam, oh, it wasn't? Adam Smith. My buddy, oh, my buddy Adam. Uh, he, he is. I think he's actually back in Birmingham. I need to give him a call. Uh, but yeah, he 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 was like, "No, you got to see it. You got to watch it. It's great all the way through." And I was like, "All right, I'll give it a try." And, and finally, <laughs> I, I, I don't like. I really was interested in the Temporal Cold War storyline in mm-hmm. Enterprise. I thought it was going to be fun, but it got really bad reactions from fans. Um, it did, and I, I didn't like that it, they just seemed to have dropped it. Like we did, we never really found out, right? Who, um, they, like in, yeah, in universe, it, in universe, we never found out. In, in universe, we found we didn't find out who who the uh, mystery time guy was, future guy, everyone called him. Yeah. Um, we do know from like Doug Drexler and a couple of the other, uh, a couple. Well, he was a designer, but a couple of the uh, writers have, have said he was going to be Romulan. Um, That's right. There were some like there was a pretty heavy uh, and cool things coming in season five, including a Doctor Who crossover that was being talked about with the Russell T Davies, David Tennant. I guess it would be at the time. Wow. Yeah. That would have been timey wimey. That would have been but, um, really cool, and I wouldn't have liked it from a continuity perspective. It would have had an insert pocket universe or, you know, oh, crossover universe thing. Um, the show got a bad rap, though, like eschewing the Star Trek name, eschewing the orchestra uh, theme for Faith of the Heart. Yeah, um, that was that was probably a bad call. I didn't mind it, yeah. but it was probably a bad call. Even like the like the music they used on the <laughs> on the on the the end credits sounded like uh, contemporary Christian music. Right. Awful. Well, here's the thing about that: it, it feels like they were trying to update it by not going with orchestral, by going with modern pop music. But they didn't go modern enough. <laughs> it felt like it yeah. felt like the Quantum Leap music. Like it didn't. It, did. it didn't. And having Scott Bakula there. Jumping back to like the whatever early nineties, late eighties, and like, and having all that the elements, it just felt really dated immediately. Um, and even, yeah. even though the storytelling was pretty good, I think it just didn't it didn't stand on its own two feet. And so I, I think it just was sort of a failure of, I don't know, almost like the art direction was a failure. Mm-hmm. And by art direction, I mean overall aesthetic of the show as a mishmash of trying to placate people who just want to see a hot girl on the screen. That first episode where they go into the decontamination chamber and Jolene Blaylock rubs gel all over her body uh, uh-huh. is so just not in the spirit of Star Trek to me. 
Oh, I see. I, I disagree. Like, look back at the original series. Look at all the skin they showed on that. Sure, like, sure, sure, sure. I, I guess I mean modern Star Trek. I, I think that yeah. I think that the the '60s Star Trek is a element of its time. The culture uh, uh, of the '60s was not evolved on the issue, and the women were just objects on that show in many ways. Mm-hmm. And they did a beautiful thing, beautiful things with that in Enterprise when they reverse the idea of the Orion slave girls and they were actually mm-hmm. the slave traders, not the slaves. That was right. awesome. That was really fun and cool and like, you know, a, a different take on the sexual dynamics. But I, mm-hmm. I really don't like, I, I don't know. It just felt, it felt exploitative in a way that the, at least as an ideal Star Trek is supposed to be trying to move beyond. And in the 60s mm-hmm. Star Trek, I'm not saying you can't be sexy on Star Trek. I think it's absolutely okay to be sexy. I kind of would have rather it been in a sex scene than just like, we're going to give a reason for her to be in a freezing cold room right. rubbing gel on herself as often as possible. <laughs> like like every yeah, every time they go to a planet, they have a female and they're rubbing herself down with gel. Well, it was it was it was her and and Trip Tucker. Yeah, and, like, and they took the most attractive people on the show and, and made them strip. And the the uh, communications officer, she comes in at the end of it. Oh yeah. So oh she. So it's them like rubbing each other down, uh, and I was just like, it just didn't feel it didn't feel right to me. It didn't feel it felt it felt like lowest common denominator stuff. It it felt cringy, mm-hmm. but if I'm being honest. And I look back at TNG, you know, Troy was in a lot of cat suits. Troy answered her door at least a few times in almost see-through materials. Absolutely. And I'm not saying this isn't a problem across all Star Trek. And Uh, even worse. I just think it's bad when it's not aware of itself. Even worse, Riker's one exposed nipple. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, I just... I'm not saying it's not a it's not an ongoing problem. It just felt like with and I, I, I you disagree with this if you like uh, G Space Nine and even with Voyager, they had kind of moved on from that a little bit. And it wasn't so they still had a little sexuality in the show, but it wasn't so exploitative and one sided. Yeah. And then with Enterprise, it was a step backwards. That's that's all I mean. I felt like with Voyager Seven of Nine, it was a real step backwards. See. I agree that the casting of her seems that way and seemed that way to me. Jerry Ryan is a good actress. I'm fine with Jerry Ryan being cast. Okay. What I'm not okay with is the freaking board cat suit that makes no sense. Like, there's no reason for her to have to wear a cat suit every episode. Yeah. I I think there's multiple reasons for that. But I think in the character of Seven or Nine... I don't think she was too over-sexualized. I, no. I, I could be speaking totally out of school here, but I, because again, this this is my least favorite show. Voyager's my least favorite, and mm-hmm. I haven't uh, really revisited it since I rewatched it ten years ago or something. No, I, I would agree. I don't think she was over-sexualized in in her character. She was very much the Data or the Spock of the show, but that's what they were. There was the, it was the archetype they were right. going for. But well, um, and I mean, there's always cat suits. I, even Kira, I don't think of her as an over-sexualized character. Where her suit's real, like form-fitting and fabricy and they tight. Um, and I, th- there's always a little bit of that in the shows, and and uh, some of that's in the real world, and I don't mind it. 
Uh, it's just in that first episode of Enterprise, it was particularly stark to me. And also, mm-hmm. I think that for Voyager, it started out, and I do think that was a step backwards. I agree with you, but I think that like Voyager at least started out trying to be a little more pure to it, and I think they brought that in to try to save them or get ratings up. Uh, we're gonna have a hot Borg. Um, <laughs> who who was asking for a hot Borg at the time? Um, <laughs> that is not that's not a thing I look. I don't look at the Borg and go, you know what? Sexualize that. I'll be in my bunk. Um, yeah, yeah. You know who's the most? You know, you know who the most uh, popular car- uh, villains are? The Klingons. Well, okay, ones that aren't bumpy on their heads. <laughs> Oh, I guess the Borg. Yeah, let's do the Borg, but a hot one. I feel like they could have sexualized the Klingons easier than the Borg. The Borg are, like, covered in dead flesh. Again, it's almost like a necrophilia thing. And I know you that know, they, they fixed that with 709, like when she, uh, when she uh, whatever, separated from the hive. I guess she got her skin tone back? I don't really yeah. understand that. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think they tried to sexualize the Klingons a little bit. Like, I've, I've always gotten, like, really mixed signals from the Dura sisters because I feel like they were trying to make them really sexualized because, like, pretty much they've got, like, armor over their nipples, and that's about it. Really? But, <laughs> I, I mean, don't... they just have, like, massive cleavage. Oh, oh yes, yes. They, they, make their, they make their teeth so awful. Yeah. I don't know like, that they were ever trying – like, I feel like they were trying to sexualize them sort of in-universe. Yeah. Like, the characters were kind of supposed to think – in many cases, the characters were like, well, what's up with these ladies? But from a uh, from an outside perspective watching, I don't – at least I didn't ever think they were uh, – I was never like, oh, my goodness. I am – they never had a scene where I felt like, oh, they're being overly sexualized. They just yeah. had their breasts out, which I don't know. Well, they they seem to make pass. They seem to make passes at at uh, some of the male characters, right? And those characters, sort of, I think it also, grotesque ways. I think their sexuality was sort of played for comedy, which is a yeah. whole different maybe yeah. issue. But their their sexuality is sort of played for comedy in that, like, oh my gosh, that ugly woman is hitting on Riker. Like it's it's kind of mm-hmm. that's kind of weird. That's kind of a they weird definitely, weird look. They definitely played that up in, in generations when I can't remember which one it was one of the Dura sisters saw Beverly Crusher and she was like human females are so repulsive yeah <laughs> which you know there's a certain level of this that it's all in good fun and then there's a certain level where you start to just like hurt your brand uh, for for being a thinking man sci-fi if you put, mm-hmm. put over sexualized women all over the cover because Part of being a thinking man is being a little more evolved on those issues, um, right? And not and not treating a woman as uh, just meat to be stared at or whatever. But you know, honestly, that's one of the things I love about the original series is the cheesecake beefcake aspect of it, like the old pulpy aspects of right. old Star Trek. It, there's something ridiculous and appealing about yeah, that. I would agree. I would agree, and especially for its time, um, I think that's super fun. I even think it's sort of the fun of like a. Uh, of like a Guardians of the Galaxy today, I think mm-hmm. it has in many ways a modern version of that aesthetic. Uh, uh, yeah, the the issues with the original series run a little deeper with the sexuality of the original series because you've got, yeah, you got the pulpiness and the look of it all, but also the women have no agency is a big part of the problem. Well, not all, know, not all, but 
Yeah, like the original series, I feel like there there were those that didn't have agency, but there were also you know the and they were just as scantily clad, but there were plenty of women who were like you know at least high up nurses, or there were lawyers, you know, there were there were higher up people, people of higher rank uh, in the original series who like women right. who. Well, but and then they then, would turn around and do some kind of weird shit like, you know, uh, Janice Lester in the last episode talking about how women can't be captains. You're like, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. Is that because she was just insane and they just kind of, you know, Kirk was placating her by going, yeah, you're right. It's not fair. Or, I mean, I'm sure, well, can we headcanon it that way? Like. <laughs> I have so, no idea, man. We know that there was like a female captain on Enterprise, so in the canon, one at least predates it in the prime time. Right, right. So you just, there, and, and I, I just have to treat that as a mistake in canon, like, and and just re- treat the first one as a mistake and just ignore that line, which I hate to do because I like canon. Well, see, I, like, I think a lot of people wind up head canoning that into saying like she couldn't. She couldn't do it. She couldn't actually. She wasn't good enough to become a captain, right. and she it kind of drove her mad because that was the whole point of the episode. Is she switched bodies with Kirk. It was part of okay. her devious plan, and then she was finally being able to be a captain. Right. Um, I think at the time they were trying to say like, you know, being uh, diminished societally has driven this woman mad, and now she's become a villain. Uh, but looking back on it, it's just so silly. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I think they do give room for you yeah. to headcanon it. Like, she was just wasn't good enough, and she kind of went mad. And, and I should say when I'm talking about the sexuality aspects of Star Trek, um, one of – it's a complicated issue because you don't want to make all of your – Characters, you don't want to say you don't treat them like objects. Is is, is no. the rule you treat the women like people in both the writing and the you know hopefully the characters that are shown in a good light are also treating the women like people, uh, and that goes for their sexuality. Um, you sort of it seems it seems to me in the older Star Trek, you kind of have a dichotomy of different types of women, and it does seem like the ones that are taken seriously, the ones that. Uh, that are higher up, uh, wear more clothes, which it, it, it is, is, is analogous to our society today. We, we, we think of women that way too, but even that is sort of an issue from a sort of sexism perspective. Like mm-hmm. a, a woman, a woman can't have her own sexuality, can't show some skin and be an intelligent sort of, you know, I don't know. See, I think I think one of the things about the old Star Trek was I think I think more than any other show at the very least, and all of this is anecdotal. Everything you're saying, everything I'm saying is anecdotal. We don't have any empirical data in front of us, but I think that the women were shown more agency, even in their sexuality. Like, you know, they, it does take a lot of crap for like the women being quote unquote sex pots, but that was part of the whole point. Is that those women weren't sex pots, just there to please a man. They were there. And they they had their own wants and desires, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's in the in the in the. Oftentimes, uh, the women are treated, and this is partially apocryphal. From uh, and it will probably annoy you. 
because it's par- partially <laughs> what, how 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 col- how Kirk is perceived in culture. But there are a number of episodes where he uh, meets a woman, uh, uses his sexuality uh-huh. to his sexuality is treated as power over her, and her sexuality is treated as a weakness for him. And yeah. he and he and he woos her in a way of convincing her to go against her own people or things like that. It's just this sort of weird sexual dynamics. There's all kinds of things we could get into about this, but uh, oh, yeah. I don't even know. I mean, but there's also something to be said for the fact that every, whether there's a woman or not, Kirk generally winds up shirtless running around. Yes, yes. You know, glistening in the sun. <laughs> my, one of my favorite jokes about that is just the uh, Galaxy Quest scene where Tim Allen just loses his shirt inexplicably. Like on the planet, yeah. it's so good. <laughs> it's so, yeah, so good. I'm not, I'm not saying the sexism isn't there. Um, you know, it was a ridiculous time, and I feel like a lot of like it's just it's just important to note that you know one of the women that Kirk kisses is also like a high, like a high ranking lawyer, you know, and like right, were, right, right, and it wasn't in any way to get anything out of her. It was just because they had had a fling. When they were back in the in the academy, or right, whatever. right, one of eighteen. I got gotcha. um, <laughs> you. Just trying to tease you because I know it's like a personal. Uh, it's not a. It's not a personal anything. It's, it's a little just, bit. It's a little bit of an, a personal annoyance. I was gonna say, it's a personal annoyance of yours that people perceive Kirk that way and the way that Pine played Kirk. That's something that bothers you. I'm not it, saying it it's annoys wrong. me when I hear people are like. Like, uh, That's like all Jason he has is. a friend. Jason has a friend, and he's like, oh, he's talking about how he likes Star Trek. He's like, oh, man, it's great. It's like every episode, Kirk's like making out with another chick. And I'm like, That's, that didn't happen. Right. Like, right. stop perpetuating that. That didn't yeah. happen. You just hate it when when, pe- when when men are known only for their sexuality. And it doesn't have, I, like, other ba- other characteristics, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I hate it when I hate it when anybody is like I know I know that's uh, yeah. I'm just teasing you I'm just I'm just teasing you and teasing Star uh-huh. Trek at the same time. <laughs> yeah, or it's annoying. Teasing you, teasing <laughs> you by teasing Star Trek. Sorry. Like just, I'm not I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm just saying it's not as it's in certain places it's it's worse. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, obviously, <laughs> Star Trek is a trailblazer uh, with, mm-hmm. with 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 women. And with, with 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 gender and with race, um, it, it was a trailblazer in many ways. It still had the same issues of the day because the people making it weren't fully uh, fully woke as as society is today. Right. But you know that's just how that's how this culture works, and we all learn, yeah. and we all learn learn more how to be empathetic toward other people. I think one of the funny things, though, is that like. Over the years, they have interviewed some of the actresses who were on the original series, and they all have some sort of anecdote somewhere along the line about someone saying, hey, what, why, why did you let them dress you like that? And they were like, I don't know, I thought it was sexy. I liked it. Right, right, right. It's I, just, you know, society changes. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. Uh, we play in a lot of bars. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks ago, playing in this bar, and there was this couple just uh, – and this girl kept walking up to the stage, and she was getting kind of flirty with the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was kind of like you know, pointing, at, pointing at me being the lead singer, and he's like kind of 
making eyes with the drummer and sort of just like dancing, you know, just shaking her hips, shaking her shoulders, just like sort of getting down on the dance floor, as were a lot of other people. But she was particularly being sort of like flirty with the band. Right. Girls do it all the time. It's not – they're not actually hitting on us. It's just a uh, – it's just a, a way of interacting with the music. Um, and, and, peop- and, 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 and ladies like to do that at some of these bars. So these, these girls are doing – this girl's doing this, and this guy walks up to her, her boyfriend, I, I'm assuming, and he sort of just grabs her by the neck, like from behind. Uh-huh. And like walks her away. Like he wasn't squeezing her, he wasn't hurting her, but he definitely was sort of hurting her. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like stop hitting on H-E-R-D. the band. Yeah, 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 hurting. Um, he, he's hurting her, and he's, and, and he's he's just being possessive of her. She didn't seem to mind in any way. Like she was kind of like, oh yeah, I'll come hang out with you. Uh, but just because she was participating in the sort of toxic nature of him being possessive over her doesn't mm-hmm. make it less uh, gross. <laughs> like it makes it kind of <laughs> more gross. And so a society yeah. where, where the women are saying, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I thought it was sexy. Like I was just trying to be sexy. Of course you were trying to be sexy. Right. You were, you were uh, socialized to try to be sexy so that you could achieve a higher status in this culture that values your sexiness over who you are. Um, and so, so, so there's, there's, there's a lot. There's just, it's a complex, complex issue. But, if, but you say that's gross, but if they are both into that. I, I, still, say, I still say that sort of possessive nature and jealousy is not healthy period and she may even like that he's possessive of her but i say that's toxic and oh i think it's absolutely toxic and probably unhealthy but maybe we're both assholes for saying that um, maybe she she gets off on him being domineering yeah it's one thing to be get off on something uh and 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 have like a sexual proclivity or whatever uh it's another thing to feel that you possess you should you you have the rights over another human being's agency and, right. and and so for the for the girl to to, to encourage that in any way uh, mm-hmm. is is not good and i think it's part of a culture that exists particularly in the south uh yeah. and, and particularly at the kind of bar we were at yeah uh, well, Honestly, we, i don't know what kind of bar you're at yeah <laughs> i don't and i don't and, and and these are people that hire me i don't want to uh flame flame people that pay me to do my job as a musician uh, mm-hmm. but sometimes you're in the out of these bars and bars can be toxic places in general and with certain cultures especially here in the south uh, there's a sort of just possessive nature of the men get over the women and so when a woman is just enjoying entertainment and li- like like i could see being annoyed at uh i could see being jealous or possessive as well right but there's just something kind of even if he'd like grabbed her arm or her hand or like guided or like at like tried to get her attention through mm-hmm. or came over and danced with her, there's a lot of ways to handle that sort of yeah. jealousy. Like you know what, I'm a little jealous that she is so into the band. That's that in itself is probably toxic, uh, but I'm a little <laughs> jealous. I'm a little jealous, but you know what, you know what would make her want to be around me if I went up there and was a part of the party. And I'm enjoying it instead of like you can't have fun now. Sorry, get away from the band. It was weird. It was it was it was weird and toxic. Yeah, I think. I don't know. Like I don't I don't go to bars. I don't understand that 
um, that culture. I have known people who do shit like that with their significant others, where they will like, like she'll like go and flirt with somebody, and then like just, and that is part of their like role play. Right. Oh, and and the, the, uh, there's a difference between like a stated part of your role play where you've right. kind of discussed it, and it's a part of your sexuality to watch someone. It gets you going to watch them interact with other men and even see them be attractive to other men. It makes you uh-huh. – it lights your fire in some way. But, like, it's different to be just, just – just think that they are yours and yeah. that you possess them. Uh, I mean, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm not possessive. I am, like – I don't even like using apostrophes. Um <laughs> <laughs> just, but yeah, 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 yeah I, I don't understand. Be like, there, there's, there's so know. many sides to this issue. It's, it's like I was saying. It's like there is, there are ways to talk about sexuality, and I, I, that's why I wanted to dive into this a little bit because when we're talking about the Paul scene, I don't want to say that any sexuality on screen is wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that the just setting the camera up to have a like lustful gaze at the woman when there's no story or like internal reason for it is just a little, a little yeah. shitty. And then the, uh, the, of course there's also a 10 year old or who I know I was probably like 13, 14, 19. I don't know when, when it came out when I first saw it and I was like, wow, I like that scene. Whoo. <laughs> Which scene you talking about? We've kind of jumped around. No, it was the decon- decontamination chamber. I mean, we were like it was two thousand one, right? Right. How, however old we were, Nin- I was 19, 19 20? 18, yeah. 18 or nineteen, yeah. Uh, and so, so it definitely, uh, you know, there's a there was a part of me that really liked that scene, but uh-huh. now uh, a little older, a little more, hopefully, a little I more evolved. Even back then, I found I found it cringy. Uh, me too. I was not I was not alone. Uh, I think a lot of Star Trek fans found it cringy, just like they found the theme song cringy. They found the issuing of Star the Star Trek title cringy. Uh, yes, and Rick Berman saying we're it's closer to now. We're a little more uh, contemporary in the music. Yeah, emphasis on the word little because it's like you got Phil Collins up in here, buddy. Like, yeah, it, you said contemporary, but you got gray hair, dude. It was two thousand, <laughs> like you said. It, it was- 2001, you said? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's 2001. Uh, 2001. So Russell Watson doing Faith of the Heart is not exactly what we need. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't what we needed, uh, and it was just weird. It was. It was a weird. It was a weirdly put together show. But overall, mm-hmm. it came together as a pretty good series. And so, if you haven't seen yeah. it because you just never bought into all those things, I think it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, I feel like it's the first two seasons are better than TNG's first two seasons, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's that's very fair. And three and four, are fantastic serialized storytelling. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, okay, so Discovery is number four. Or sorry, number five for both of us. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny that we have the exact same list. Um, and I don't have a whole lot to say about Discovery, and we've been on a long time, so we'll, we'll give the Cliff Notes version of why these ended up at four and five. Um, I just main reason I put it there. Um, it just hasn't proven itself to me yet. I, I yeah, I feel like it shouldn't be, you know, considered upper echelon for. Uh, well, I kind of feel like it, as long as it's still running, it should be lower tier just by default. Maybe, uh, maybe I just think there's enough in the first season to like, 
Absolutely. there's enough in the first season to not like that it's still just sort of a mixed bag for me. And it's hard for me to take out any of the other series that I love so much and mm-hmm. kind of say right now that Discovery is topping them. I think after two or three seasons, even though if it's on the air, it, it could easily edge out Enterprise. Um, I even think yeah. in many ways it's better than Enterprise. If it had a better first two episodes, <laughs> I would mm-hmm. it, it might have gotten above Enterprise for me. Uh, and if it, if it two, two major things – it had such a bad start. I really don't like the first two episodes. Um, if it had a better first two episodes and if it had a better uh, attention to canon, I would I would probably have Discovery above Enterprise. It would t- mm-hmm. It's going to take it a few seasons before it tops TNG for me because TNG is such a classic. Yeah. Um, and it'll really probably take its whole run. And I'll, and I'll I'll even if it's amazing, it will still be really hard to top DS9. But Enterprise, I think it could take Enterprise. Uh, yeah, I, I love Discovery's pacing. I love their their sense of story. I love their um, even though like one of their one of their big uh, plot twists wasn't really a plot twist because people on the internet were too smart and figured it out. I was lucky um, uh, that uh, I did not follow the internet stuff. I didn't mm-hmm. follow the – and I kind of don't want to, even though we're starting this podcast. I'm not a bit – I don't know. I love to speculate here on the show, just us, and if our listeners have some speculation. But I don't really want to hear every theory from the internet because they did. Yeah. Apparently – yeah, I uh, – uh, spoiler alert for Discovery. We give a spoiler alert because it's fairly new. Um, when he turned out to be from the Mirror Universe, mm-hmm. Lorca, when Lorca turned out to be from the Mirror Universe – uh, I did not know that was a thing that was going around the internet. I just wasn't reading the internet. I wasn't following any of the podcasts. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing that was going around the internet. And then one episode before the reveal, or two episodes before the reveal, uh, I turned on some Star Trek podcast, and without a spoiler alert, the guy just said, well, everyone knows that Lorca's from the alternate universe, and that Dada, and said some other oh. thing. And I was like, I didn't know that. Like, I still don't because it's still just speculation at that point. But, like, he he gave me two – I forget what the other spoiler even was, but he gave me two major spoilers in, like, the first two seconds of his podcast. And I was like, dude, a spoiler alert, dude. Come on. I, not everyone listens to every episode yeah. that you put out or whatever. The, um, the one I was talking about was the, uh, the Ash being uh, – Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that what was his name? Voke. That Voke, that, that was the other one. That was the other one of the two. He said two facts really fast, and um, and that and that was it. And I was like, mm-hmm. what the? <laughs> Why did you do that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I try to give a spoiler alert on anything that's less than a year old, at least, um, and mm-hmm. try to give a spoiler alert if, if I just think people should watch it. <laughs> Absolutely. I get a little less spoiler alerty if I just think it's bad. <laughs> like, you don't need to worry about it. It sucks. Here it is. <laughs> here's, what, yeah. here's what happened. Uh, so, yeah, I'll probably get a lot of crap. A lot of, there's, there are a lot of very um, – there are a lot of disco fans out there who are very adamant that we shouldn't question the validity of his uh, canonicity, I guess. Right. <laughs> Big, they're like, they're like, oh, you Star Trek fans, they said it was the Prime Universe. The producers say it's the Prime Universe, therefore it is. And I'm like, no. As a fan, I retain the right to accept or reject 
something as a piece of the canon that that I hold dear. Interesting. Um, I don't know that I, I feel about it. I don't know that I feel that way. Um, I think that if it has been canonized by the producers and by whatever by Paramount, mm-hmm. it probably is canon. Uh, now, whether they do a good job and whether I eventually just go, well, screw Star Trek. I really like those first few episodes. It's almost like uh, it's like albums for me. I love Weezer's first three albums. Mm-hmm. Fourth one's pretty great too, but everything after that gets a little bit eh for me. It's still yeah. Weezer. I still have to count it yeah. as Weezer, but I don't have to say I love it. But see, it doesn't ruin like, those first four albums for me. I, I'm not going to say that Discovery isn't Star Trek, but I am going to say that, as far as I can tell, it is not in the prime timeline. And, and since the, I, I doubt there's going to be a producer that shows up on screen in universe and says, "Yep, this is canon," right? I have the freedom to do that. And even beyond the the obvious technological jumps, like they have technology that you know they were just getting on DS9 and acting like it was a big deal. Um, yeah. Uh, even beyond that, like, I get that you have to recast, especially when people have passed away, but to cast people and write the characters in such a way that doesn't feel or look anything like the characters that came before, like Sarek, James Frain. I, I don't want to say he's doing a terrible job. He's doing a passable job. He just plays James Frain and everything, I feel like. but I don't feel I, that way about him. I, I think he's very different than the other characters I've seen him play. I just feel like he's like Theo Gallivan from Gotham yeah, over here. Yeah, he don't feel uh, like that. Aesthetic, but he definitely doesn't feel anything like the character Mark Leonard played. Uh, he doesn't feel like Sarek at all to me. Right. I... Um, I haven't had that big of an issue with that yet, but uh, I also am not as as up on Sarah as you probably are. And um, I feel like it's going to get worse in some ways because of, uh, we've already heard uh, the guy playing Spock, Peck. I think his name's Josh Peck, maybe. Um, he doesn't sound anything like Nimoy, and like that that voice is such a. Uh, it's such an important part of the character, the 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 voice and the demeanor, and I don't think uh, Zachary Quinto ever got it, and I don't think this dude who's supposed to be Leonard Nimoy Spock has it so far. Yeah, and this is this is where me and you come down on different sides of things because I ju- some of that stuff doesn't bother me, just doesn't bother me. It's just the kinds of fans we are, the kinds of people we are. I don't. You can recast someone. They can be drastically different as long mm-hmm. as the facts remain and the core of the character remains, um, depending on the situation. Like, the fact that Spock is different in the Kelvin timeline, I'm mm-hmm. fine with that. He's younger. He's also uh, – it also is a different universe, butterfly effect. Maybe he's had some changes. Um, so so th- yeah. that's that's all fine with me. And this this one – I agree with you. It'd be nice if it, they at least kept the facts the same, but yeah. changing a voice doesn't really bother me. Uh, it, it, voice or if you made him drastically different character-wise, which I have a feeling they might do, 
mm-hmm. uh, then I agree with you, and I, I'm totally with you. But the stuff like the voice and the look, like I, they could cast, they could have cast Rain Wilson as Spock if he did a good job. Uh, you know, I just well, see, I picked Rain Wilson I, out, of hat, out of a hat, but I enjoyed Rain Wilson as Mud. But I, I didn't feel him. like he was playing Mud. Right. I I don't remember the Mud episodes well enough to remember uh, much about him. How different he was, honestly. I need to rewatch that mud, the mud episodes. I, re- I, I really liked him in the show, um, mm-hmm. but I need to rewatch those episodes for sure. Who is that guy? Uh, they they, sh- they should have cast him as mud. Um, that Tompkins guy. <laughs> well, and this 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 in lies why probably Discovery will probably never be my re- reach the top of what I what what they're doing they wanted to make something new and different new and different in star trek and instead of trying to if they want to create all the new art direction and all the new ships and all do whatever you want jump ahead stop Mm -hmm. going backwards star trek has not gone forward in so long and it's why i'm excited about the picard series and they've said that it's not going to tie into discovery okay cool uh, so I can accept Discovery as a separate universe, <laughs> as right. I have been so far. By the way, it's Paul F. Tompkins. He should have. He looks like a young Roger uh, Carmel. I I love Paul F. Tompkins. I, I he should have been Mud. I am absolutely on board with that casting. Um, Paul F. Tompkins <laughs> is one of my favorite comedians. Period. And him in Star Trek would, and him at doing the things that Rain Wilson did on this would have been great. But I like Rain Wilson. I don't have a problem with Rain Wilson as Mud. I can completely just accept a new version of a character as long mm-hmm. as that character the, it's it's more about the writing than the performance yeah. for me a performer I'd, i like the giving a performer the freedom to do something a little different i'm you know i'm not mad you know like i'm not nuts so i know we've had to deal with this in in the prime universe and i accept it as the prime universe uh, obviously robin curtis taking over for over for christy alley and playing a completely different kind of Lieutenant Savick, right, uh, comes to mind immediately. Yeah, I just think this this series being set in the past was a mistake. They're they're, they're tying it to original series in a way that like just it was unnecessary. I do mm-hmm. I do think that maybe they wouldn't have gotten the list the viewership if it wasn't Kirk Kirk times or like you know ten years before Kirk times or however many years it's supposed to be now. I don't um, think it would have mattered honestly. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. And, and I see why they did it is all I guess I'm getting at. Um, and I see why they would want to bring in Spock and the Enterprise to the show now. Mm-hmm. But you're just shooting yourself in the foot by trying to be creative and innovative and go backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, Enterprise actually did the dance very well for that. For the, But they were also 100 years before. Being so close to the same time. If you're yeah. going to do that, just Pay attention to the rules of canon. Um, and I agree with you. It might just have to be an alternate universe story one day. One day we might real, just decide, you know, Discovery is a nice little story, but it's not in my Star Trek timeline. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, the, the designers are like, oh, well, we wanted to put our own spin on it. We wanted to acknowledge that, you know, things have changed and, like, you know, you, you've got to update it. for. No, you don't. You don't. Like, Enterprise proved that. You look at the Through a Mirror Darkly episodes, like, they brought in Doug, Drexler, they sort of refitted the, they they made a completely, 
from the naked eye, just glancing, that bridge looks exactly like it did in the original series. Right. But with HD cameras, when you get closer up, he they put in a lot of little detail. It wasn't just, you know, your, the standard old sets. Right. Like, they put in a lot of detail that made it look like, oh, well, look at that. Look at that pattern on the floor that we never got to make out before. Look yeah. at this. These seams here, these were the, were the you know, as, bulkhead merges, you know? As very excited as I am to talk Star Trek with you as this new, next season of Discovery comes out and, like, speculate and be excited about where the characters are going and what's going on, I have a feeling you are going to be frustrated as hell with this Enterprise. <laughs> I'm, I'm already frustrated as hell with the Enterprise. Oh, I know, and we've only seen the exterior... When, uh, I, when well, it showed it, up, I'm like, that shit does not look like it. Paused it. I, mean, I was like, that shit does not look like the Enterprise. When they, look sh- at this. When they like, show us the bridge, you're going to be, you're going to be uh, inconsolable. It's gonna... I, I'm not going to be inconsolable, and here's why, though. Like, because I do not accept it as prime. All right, all right. That's and if you gotta, if you gotta, if you gotta live your life that way, with that you, is how I've had. If you gotta live life. with your life with that alternative lifestyle, I can support you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Like, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot watch this show happily and w- look at all of these technological leaps that they didn't even have in TNG or DS9 or Voyager. Yeah. And watch these actors say their name. Or, uh, actually, the, the lady that played um, Amanda did a really good job, and I would be perfectly happy to accept her as uh, pre-Journey to Babel uh Amanda Grayson, but um, the, this guy, James Frame playing Sarek, I just can't get over it. it this guy playing Spock, I, I don't even know what he's doing yet, but already I'm worried. If we're, I, They keep saying they're going to reconcile it with canon. Right. They acknowledge, the producers have acknowledged that it's not reconciling with canon at this point. If they can reconcile it, God bless. Let's do that. Yeah. I'm not even talking about the God of Shakari. Um, <laughs> a little Star Trek Five humor. Sorry, sorry, I missed it. <laughs> but you're you're doing it in the right place. So keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, if I said that on DC on screen, Jason would have been like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, no, not that one. Shakari. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, um, let's get to our last yeah. and final nail in the coffin of, 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 this, <laughs> of this of this podcast. Um, so Voyager is our both of our least favorite live action Star Trek. Yeah. It's so funny. We have the same list. I am still I know that it's not that crazy that me and you who have talked about Star Trek our entire lives would have similar lists. But I still think it's funny that it's exactly the same because I didn't know what my list was until I sat down to do this today, and so it's mm-hmm. funny that we came up with the same one. Um, oh yeah, I, I just did. I just came up with one. Like I just wrote them down as honestly as I can. I, I pretty much knew what they were going to be, but I didn't think about it until like right before. Right. We, exactly. We did it. It's not like we've done this on. A, oh, yeah, it's really funny to me. I know it's not funny to the audience, but it's funny. It to was me. Fu- what might be funny to the audience is like you asked me if, and I was like, "Oh yeah, no, I left one off, and I left Voyager off." Like, oh I yeah, forgot that it was even a series. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, "All right, I got the six series down. You got the six series down." He's like, six. 
Oh, <laughs> there's a slight oversight on my list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Voyager is not a good show. I really, I, mean, I really enjoy some of the characters. It's still Star Trek. I can still sit and watch it in the background for whatever. Uh-huh. But I think it's a bad show. There's no character I, growth at all. It's similar to it's like similar in all the ways of the worst Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, they took all of the wrong lessons from the Next Generation. I feel like, yeah, I agree. But even pushed home the uh, no uh, no conflict, which is weird and, and a missed opportunity. Honestly, oh, for like sure. a lot of people say, I will hear. I hear a lot of people say like, "Well, Voyager failed because they were like." Star Trek is supposed to be, like, leaving home. They were trying to get back home. That is not a valid argument. I'm not sorry. That's ridiculous. Voyager had problems because, one, they couldn't decide what they wanted to be, whether they wanted to be a standalone show or they wanted to be a serialized show. Um, and when they wanted to be a serialized show, it was just all Borg all the time. They really didn't focus on anyone but Janeway or Seven of Nine most of the time or the Doctor. Right. Um, Everyone else which, is always a – instead of having – it feels like and – and this, again, I haven't watched it in 10 years. But it feels like instead of having any standalone episode, real standalone episodes really dive into other characters, most of it was always Janeway and Seven of Nine. Janeway mostly and then Seven of Nine. With a, most of the times other characters were side characters. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely had episodes that focused on Tom and Bolana, but it just – I don't know. I really like an episode that almost doesn't even mention some of the other characters, and you just really focus in on one character. Like you mm-hmm. said, <laughs> um, uh, you knew Rom better than you knew Riker. Like, Rom is such a side character, but they have whole episodes where Rom is the main character of that episode. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that much with Voyager. And, you know, a big problem I have with Voyager is they always hit the reset button. Like, yes. if anything, whenever anything happens that of consequence... By the end of that episode, there will be some sort of technological bullshit that may, makes it all d- not happen, or it was all like a holodeck uh, adventure, or it was all, you know, an alternate history of Voyager as told by a version of the, hologram, of the holographic doctor who didn't get home, or or a copy of his program, or whatever the hell. It's always something stupid like that. Yep. It's just like, oh my gosh, dude. I agree. I completely agree. All kinds of temporal anomalies and reset buttons galore. Uh, Year of Hell was like the best episode of Voyager ever. But it was, they, they and then they reset it. On it. A whimper. Oh, it's yeah. awful. Uh, what I can encapsulate my thoughts of uh, Voyager pretty simply. It has some of the most potential of any Star Trek series. It starts with two crews, one full of terrorists terrorist revolutionaries and one full of Starfleet officers that are chasing them. And then they have to join forces on a crew and spend what looks like 80, it's going to be 80 years to get back to their home. Mm-hmm. You have so much room. It, it could have been like a DS nine where you're stuck with the same group of people and you're traveling a long distance. And the two groups are, are, could have been, butting heads the whole time and having interesting interactions where they have differences of opinion. There could have been mo- all kinds of mocky uprisings. And uh, after episode one, I, I barely hear the mocky anymore. And, and the ship stays exactly the same 
they, they, they change technology. They get new technology in the ship throughout. It never yeah. looks different. You never have, like, panels falling apart. Where are they getting all this refit? Yeah, they did it on DS9. They would have, like, oh, Chief O'Brien, like, trying to fit Federation technology into Cardassian technology on the station all the time. Yes, exactly. They did amazing things with DS9. And there was, there was, there was episodes where there'd be a battle. You'd come back to DS9, and they literally just had, like, pieces of the set falling down and like you know pipes and like work stuff even even on the first episode we get that he gets there they just went through a thing and he's like having to step over debris and, and they did that throughout the series they did things like that all the time mm-hmm. um and it just it just is the voyager the, the ship stays the same the crew stays the same no one grows um then you look at tng and like there's so often the beginning or the end of an episode during the captain's log, Picard mentions we're leaving Starbase so-and-so after having repairs from a battle with the blah, blah, blah. Or they're like, we are en route to this Starbase to get repairs from this battle we just had that you just watched. And like that uh, uh, Voyager has battles all the time, yep. but they never get repairs. Uh, yeah, and they do they do they do they a little do, can they like, do a little cannon with that where they mm-hmm. they made the ship a different kind of, it was a, it was an experimental ship with like I forget what they even say it's like neural something interfaces and some sort of ability for it to grow the organic compounds or something like that that are able yeah, to yeah it was like biogel biogel it's able to heal itself or something so that yeah. that was their little bit of nod to like hey yeah we're gonna, we we got to give this ship something interesting to allow it to uh, he, fix itself. And this is going to be my Kirk makes out with every girl, but I feel like every other week it was either a holodeck problem or the biogel had a virus. I think, yeah, I don't think that's true. <laughs> it feels like those, like the holodeck episodes were definitely like a problem ever since the, the, the big goodbye on TNG. It was just like every time they go on a holodeck, the holodeck is going to malfunction they're going to get right. stuck well they're just on voyager it seems like they were just really scared to like actually delve into the characters and make them work um and, and so i just don't know man i just don't know i don't think that uh i i i just i just really don't like the show that's really the bottom line i think i i, I really enjoyed some of the performances at times yeah uh, as I mentioned earlier, as a kid, I loved Tom and Harry and Bolana, and um, I, 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 I really liked the Doctor. Um, but I just can't get behind. I just, I, the, the, I guess the Doctor grew, but not really. Mm-hmm. He just was on longer. Like he just he developed a life, and it was more like he had a situation that he had to put up with for a long time instead of like changing a lot i don't know there's just yeah. there's such so little change on that show it it frustrates me yeah a lot uh how did you what did you are you aware that tom paris was not uh, that robert duncan mcneil was not supposed to play tom paris on voyage i'm not i'm not aware uh, he was um a character named nicholas lacarno on the next generation yeah i remember him being on next generation and um he Basically caused this guy, a fellow cadet's death. Yeah. All right. And then they try to cover up the accident. Um, he was supposed to, sp- he was supposed to play that character on Voyager. Oh, that would have been really cool. 
and then uh, if I remember correctly, they had they didn't want to pay the guy who created Locarno. I hate that. <laughs> that pisses me off. <laughs> so like, but Tom Paris is ba- they would have done the same shit with him, right? Tom Paris is exactly the same character. And he just has a different. He even has like the you know, the the, uh, the what was it the admiral the, yeah, father, the father was, was an, an admiral asshole. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's so that's so fun and clever. And watching back that episode, he's such an asshole, like a young entitled asshole. And that's kind of who he's supposed to be when Voyager starts. And uh, but you, he's like the asshole with sort of the heart of gold, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Oh man. Just really don't like that show. Let's not let's not dwell on Voyager. <laughs> I don't. I have a feeling we won't dwell on Voyager much on this show. Uh, I I had a lot. There there were a lot of things that I liked on Voyager. I loved that episode, Real Life, where the Doctor has his holographic family and then his kid gets killed or whatever that was. Uh, I love the know, episode when they abandon the super evolved lizard baby on the planet. Yeah, that was the worst. That thing was ever. the worst episode. I'm just teasing. I just I just wanted to call it out for being shit again yeah. you remember though we we used to be really excited about voyager like that was our like that was our jam, for sure for you know? sure we were we very were, young uh we were like 11 we or 12 yeah. and we watched scorpion well, part one and then we lost yeah. the channel where we lived kid, kid yep. kids listening to this because it went to UPN. won't remember but I, there was a time we had a thing called stations and sometimes it just wouldn't show up on our in our uh, neighborhoods or whatever um, so we lost we well, lost uh, that channel when they moved to UPN in our area. Yeah, it's yeah. stupid. Anyway, we did not have a UPN affiliate, yeah. and specifically, they Paramount did not want to make Voyager accessible to affiliate stations because they wanted there to be a reason for people to watch UPN. Yeah. Unfortunately, more than half the country didn't have UPN. Exactly. And they wanted, like, a public outcry of people saying, hey, we want Star Trek back. But it, apparently it wasn't strong enough. And so they just – we didn't get it for a really long time. Um, and then mm-hmm. when I finally went back to watch Scorpion Part 2, I was somewhat underwhelmed. It sucked. Yeah, it wasn't very good. <laughs> like, I really felt like – and maybe maybe Voyager was okay in the beginning or maybe I was just a kid. I don't really remember. I rewatched well, we it. Were, but we, we both loved Star, uh, DS9 at the yeah. time. So I rewatched it, re- like, about ten years ago, and I, and I just found the whole show to be such a labor – to get through because because mm-hmm. I just don't have there's there's nothing driving me forward in the story to say oh I can't wait till this this evolves or this dynamic develops it just is the same the whole show yeah um I, I, the the yeah. best we get is like they they're making like that transwarp ship I guess which I do enjoy that kind of stuff I enjoy the like development of new technologies on the ship um I forget what they call it something flyer Oh, they had the Delta, Delta flyer. flyer. That was just a different kind of shuttle, but, but which is weird because they they had a they had like a finite amount of shuttles and like they gave us that number and then over the course of the series they lost or destroyed way more than they ever had really? on the ship. Yes, yeah, I really and they did the same thing with crewmen, like crew members. They had that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, so anyway, they, they they didn't pay attention. Voyager's like, bad. Like Ronald D. Moore, Ronald D. Moore went to work on Voyager. He was there for two days and quit. Yeah, I remember you telling me that story. It's crazy. Yep. So, uh, yeah, yeah, 
it's just I th- I, th- I think I hope that we've learned our lessons from the past. Um, I mm-hmm. I don't like that. I feel like the UPN thing was repeated when they brought um, Discovery to CBS All Access. They just like shut out a huge portion of the population who's not going to spend money to create it to watch a Star Trek series. And how are you roping in new people if your show isn't available? Well, they're going to do it in a couple of different ways, and I think it is like I was on board with you. Uh, at the beginning. Well, well, what have they announced? I'm, 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 I'm definitely, I'm asking that uh, rhetorically, but I'm also asking it if there's an answer. Internationally, they're they're putting out on Netflix. Right. What are they doing? Um, what are they doing nationally? Nationally, they are letting the old guard die off, and that's like everything's moving to streaming. Network television. I mean, the networks are just going to become become streaming services. Sure. Um, yeah, that's not my that's my question though. Is like my que- Yeah, they're letting the old guard die off, but like they should be. They should put old seasons of Discovery after a year, just like they do on the networks. They should put old seasons on Netflix or might. or Hulu or wherever. It needs to go somewhere because. You're not going to wrote. You're going to have the same number of people you started with, and they're going to dwindle over time, either by death or disinterest. But CBS isn't putting their shows. I don't think CBS is putting any of their shows on any other streaming service. I, I think they're building their own service. They're going to. I mean, there is Star Trek on Netflix as per another deal, but um, I think they are probably doing the smartest thing. They're developing. Uh, DC show Secret Six, and I'm pretty sure they haven't announced it yet, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be CBS All Access. Um, all of these, all of these places are are just like Disney's making their own streaming right. service. Warner Brothers is making their own. Like, I think that's where it's going. That's where well, it's all going. I, I agree. I agree with you. I don't. I don't deny that at all. My I don't point think is it's the same as UPN, where they're like not going. You can buy. CBS All Access to watch the show with UPN. There was no outlet that you they didn't sure, have sure, 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 a platform. Well, sure, but there is there there's there's that there's that distinction. But the distinction of making your audience smaller and making your content harder to access is still the problem. And I don't think so. I think I think they are moving into a niche market, like the old right. people who don't know or don't care enough. They weren't going to like Discovery anyway. Well, this isn't – no, that's not my – my point is there's no reason currently on CBS All Access. There are very few shows on CBS All Access uh-huh. that are specific to CBS All Access, and there are very few shows that bring in an audience member that might like uh, Star Trek, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm worried about. I'm not, okay. I'm not saying they're not creating a, their own thing and that it can't be good. If they if they had other and and this this DC show that sounds promising that sounds like if you get a few DC fans in there those mm-hmm. could those could have some crossover it's just it's similar markets and so maybe some people who love Harley Quinn will start to oh DC show maybe I'll pay for that then they see an episode of Star Trek I like I like to hear that right. but what I, I'm worried about at least in this first year Star Trek is their flagship show it seems like. And mm-hmm. all of their other shows are sort of reality shows. They're not, um, they're not nerdy fiction shows. And I just want, I want them to put more of that on their streaming service. If they're, it's the only way they're going to attract um, new people. Like, what 10-year-olds like Star Trek, you know? Like, 
I, I was I was I was seven or eight, and my parents watched it because it was on. Uh, because it was on like it was a show you know they didn't watch mm-hmm. it because it, they didn't they didn't my parents were not the type of parents who were going to go and buy a subscription to cbs all access because they, right. they because they, they they're just watching what's on tv and it's the maybe it's the best of the four back then there were four channels and it's the best of those four channels and that's just what they're watching like we need some sort of avenue for new 10 year olds to get exposed to the content and I think that's going to have to be through their parents. Like, I think when you look at, at yeah, the that's data, a, that's a dwindling I, proposition, though. That's, absolutely. That that that's I, my point. I, Star Trek needs to be being put in front of new eyes, and the Kelvin timeline is a misstep because you're not exposing them to Star Trek. You're exposing them to sort of a slanted version of Star Trek that you think is palatable. There are uh-huh. lots of kids that are ten year olds that were are like me and like you even younger uh, that are that are that are out there who are hungry for content that is like what they will like, and they're going to like Star Trek, the kind of Star Trek that Star Trek is, not just some action-oriented, like all, like, it's 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 sort of just, it's it's again sort of pandering to the lowest common denominator. The, I feel like the Kelvin timeline is. It's like, look how much action and sex this Star Trek has. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of like, hey, how about some morality tales that pose interesting questions and make you think? There are ten year olds who want that. I don't think I don't think there is a way to please the fan base as it exists, the splintered fan base as it exists, and uh, bring in mainstream audience. Like the Kelvin timeline is proof that you can't just throw in a bunch of action and sex and like make people care. Um, TNG was the most mainstream Star Trek ever really got. I don't think Star Trek is or should be Star Wars, I don't think there's a way to really make that... uh, I don't think the cost of making it is going to uh, make them want to put it out against other mainstream shows. It has a better shot on on a streaming service and being served by word of mouth. Um, Yeah. I don't don't dispute that it, it could... I just CBS owns it. The fact that they're not yeah. putting it on the air is purely a money grab because they know they have enough Star Trek fans to pay them to watch it, and they're yeah. only caring but, about that. And they could at least run the last season on CBS on TV. But I feel like they 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 <laughs> well, could syndicate the show but, onto CBS but affiliates. Then people would just wait. Uh, I feel exactly. Like- well, then why aren't but, you just – th- that's fine. They are they are taking advantage of the deepest fandom, like us who care deeply, and they are not investing in new fandom. So they're just constantly – they're trying to suck money off of the, the ones of us who are deep, deep enough fans to pay mm-hmm. money, and they're not investing in growing new fans. Well, I don't think that they it would perform well enough to make it worth it. This is a niche – society now like everything has to be niche now well i agree but the thing is niche doesn't mean i like star trek so i will watch star trek niche means i like this type of a show Uh i like thoughtful i like interesting i like science fiction so serve it up in a in a place like make find another show on your network and maybe you put it up on cbs all access a week early that would still get you a lot of money. There are still people like me that would pay probably six ninety nine 
to to get it a week early so I could talk about it and be right on it. Maybe a month early. You figure out the timing, but you've got to have some sort of maybe a whole year. Maybe that is the maybe just like they put it on Netflix a year later. Most most network TV TV shows put something on Netflix a year later. Maybe yeah. a year later, a year behind, you run that show in syndication on CBS on near another show that also has a similar has a similar vein or whatever. Um, they did show the first two episodes on CBS, but to be to be fair, CBS the network CBS they have their own branding, they have their own audience who tunes into that network, and it is not science fiction fans. Right. You can pull right. out Big Bang Theory all you want, but people don't watch that because of sure. science fiction. They watch that because <laughs> nerds say funny things. Yeah, that show is not a show for nerds. It's a show. Um, it's a show about nerds. It's more like nerd exploitation than anything else. Uh, I feel like the only place to really go where you can have the art, where the creators can have the artistic freedom to run a little longer, run a little shorter, throw in a couple of f bombs if they really wanted to, uh, get as gory as they want, whatever. I feel like the people who are still left, the people who are going to care, and the only way to make Star Trek really as relevant as it needs to be uh, for the people watching it is to really just give it to the auteurs. And you don't want that on a network. You don't want that, you know, restrained by advertisements and, uh, you know, oh, well, if we air it at 8 o'clock, they can't say, you know, doo-doo or something, yeah. you know? I'm totally I'm, with you on that. I don't... I don't think that airing it on TV is necessary. That that was just one possible way of bringing in viewers. I don't even think that's the answer. That was just a, a – I'm trying – they need some sort of vehicle for introducing new people to it. They need to put it where young people are. The yeah. internet. I think they've done that. Mystery soft. Well, they did that, but they made them <laughs> – they make you pay $7 to, yeah, get in it, to get a taste of it. Um, yeah. They need to put it where young people can watch it. Uh, to to make it ever grow, or we're going to be the same fandom that we've been for thirty years. Like the fandom hasn't really changed or grown or modernized, and no young people are joining it. I'm not saying no. Sure, right. parents are teaching their kids. Some kids are just nerdy kids who found Star Trek because they're that kind of kid. But like, yeah, like the kids kids today could use a little Star Trek. Like kids today could use the story of of of. Of, of Spock and Kirk and the and, and, and McCoy and the balance of logic and emotion in your life and like Well they have that. It's on Netflix. The, you mean the old show? Like all the old shows are on Netflix. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. And it, I just think they should And young kids don't need to be watching Discovery, honestly. Right. <laughs> I mean they could they could go they could I, I would not mind if they even went with like the Star Wars model. Uh which you might hate this. I mean, they did. It was called the Kelvin Universe. No, I'm not talking about the uh, <laughs> the model of the type of show, but the model uh-huh. of how they're releasing stuff. They have – you can watch A New Hope and in all its boring glory. Uh, <laughs> or – I'm not, I'm not one to say that I hate Star Wars or that you have to hate Star Wars if you like Star Trek. You can like them both. I, oh, I know. I don't care. I'm with you. I'm with I you. I don't like Star Wars very much. Me neither. I, I'm. You, you know, I feel the same way. And I, that was that was a jab at Star Wars. I'm just joking. I don't hate Star Wars by any means. Um, I do think the first two movies are fairly boring. Um, and so is a lot of Star Trek from similar periods. So, like, don't get me wrong. Um, 
don't get it twisted. I, I I'm not I'm not a big hater of Star Wars. But I like how the Star Trek movies are boring, though. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do, and I, I do too in some ways. Um, but what I, my point is, the ten year old today that is, even if they're thoughtful, even if they're uh, there, there may be a little bit. They've still grown up on the same type of media that all the other ten year olds have. It's quicker paced, and you can be thoughtful, and you can be wanting these type of morality tales that Star Trek provides, and not be, um, not and still not want to watch a boring movie from forty years ago, fifty years ago, whatever. Yeah. Um. So what Star Wars has done. Is if you want to know the story of a new hope, they have it in comic book form, they have it in cartoon form, they have it in uh, in, in they, they have some sort of stories, and I think they're uh, I want to say they're cartoons that are being narrated by C three PO. So the fact uh-huh. that they're being narrated by C three PO gives you like a silly character to connect with as a kid, but it also gives you a uh, a way into the a way, a way to make the canon, any canon mistakes make sense because you're watching it through the lens of a character, not through. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's, there's interesting, innovative things you could be doing with Star Trek to bring in new 10-year-olds. You could be making a show for 10-year-olds. You could make an academy show that, 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 that works well for that 10 to 18 demographic or whatever, like a good teenage show. Um, mm-hmm. That is still Star Trekky enough that it doesn't abandon the, the like, the concepts. They've talked about an Academy show for a long time, but you've got to make you got to if you make that show, you got to make it available to more people than the same exact audience we have today. And I am I mean, that I audience. Agree. I'm happy to watch Discovery. I just know yeah. that to, to have a sustainable universe, it has to go. There has to be bringing in new people, and and some of that is going to be us going. Hey, this show is really good. You got to watch it. Um, yeah, I think I think they've been burned too many times. They don't quite know what they're doing, so they're handing it over to Star Trek fans who are also all tours and want freedom. They've got to put it on a streaming service where there are no ratings, where there there's no uh, 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 standards and practices and all that. Right. Uh, so I and think I like they're, that. They're I'm doing down it the with right that. way. I don't know how else they could do it because honestly, do ten year olds? They're over here look, watching, you know, Jake Paul. They don't care about Star Trek. They want to see a prank on YouTube. Like, there's too much noise. Like, see, and I think that I, I think, think that is a simplified view of those ten year olds because well, there's always view. there's uh, agrees. There's always been ten year olds who would rather watch a prank video. Sure. Um, that, but there were also 10-year-olds like us who wanted to watch Star Trek, and I just don't think there's a Star Trek for them anymore. And that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying this discovery is wrong. I'm not even saying what right. they're doing with CBS Access is all wrong. They just need a plan to bring new people into the fan base. And yeah, I'm, just, I'm not sure. I've thought about it a whole lot, and I don't know what that plan would be. I really don't. Like, I just don't making, know. Making content and making it available. Um, that's that's it. Making content that's appropriate and making it available. Uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter how they do that, but what they're doing is they're making content not that's not appropriate for that age, and they're making it not available to that age. Because yeah. even if it was the same exact content and it was available on Netflix, the 10-year-olds that are like us, that are also watching so, like Altered Carbon and all these other – uh, you know Netflix stuff, and then uh, you know there's other there's other stuff right now that is feeding that desire in a ten year old, 
Um, uh-huh. So it doesn't have to be Star Trek, but as a Star Trek lover, I want it to be. I want I them. Would, I want it to go forward. I would posit that ten-year-olds like who were like us have already found it on Netflix. I don't know. If that's true, but maybe. I mean, I don't know that it's true. All of this is anecdotal, the, but at the same time, I, I'm I not. Feel I, like I, I'm not saying none have. I'm just saying like a Star Trek that's updated but still appropriate and available. Yeah, because I mean, I, I get that's the updated all I'm, that's thing. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying they're doing wrong with doing Discovery. I'm very happy with Discovery, and I want more yeah, of it. I mean, I'm I, just saying. I, I agree. They need some sort, and, and I, I'm sure I'll say it again. But I know we got to get off here. Uh, we have, I've really, enjoy, I've really enjoyed <laughs> casting today. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> we are the Star Trek Universe podcast. Uh, we'll be back with you very shortly. Um, check out. David over on DC on the DC on screen podcast. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you can, I, I tweet at David C. Robertson. Uh, cool. We'll probably create a Twitter for ourselves too, but we don't have it yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and, uh, I, uh, I do the Marvel cinematic universe podcast and I also, uh, make music and you can check out my music at Matthew Carroll, uh, music.com. I re- I make like yeah. rock music and I would really love it if you guys would check it out. Um, I'm sorry for the abrupt ending. I have to go to work, guys. No, it's all, it's all good. We needed an abrupt ending. We, this this episode has gone real long, and we basically about thirty percent of it was what we meant to talk about, and the rest was just yeah. pent up, being ready to do this podcast for like years now. Um, so yeah. it's been really fun. Um, it's great to finally get all that out, uh, guys. Check us out online. We'll, we'll, I'm sure a bumper will come in now with where you can find us because <laughs> we don't have all that stuff yet. We're just starting the podcast. so um, But check us out. Live long and prosper. To reach out to us, hit us up at StarTrekUcast.com, at StarTrekUcast on Twitter, Star Trek Universe Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for us there or send us a message at StarTrekUcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to hear more from David C. Robertson, check out the DC On Screen podcast or maladjusted.tv. And if you want to hear more from Matthew Carroll, that's me, check out the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast or go listen to my music at matthewcarrollmusic.com or anywhere you get music. But Kirk has one... I called him Kirk. Picard... I'll just I'll edit that. I'm gonna get beat up on the internet for that one. Um, <laughs> I, I think if we're gonna get beat up on the internet, it's for several of the other things. <laughs> that. That's true.